Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hello, everybody. And Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, guys? How you doing? Doing good. I got the goofs. <laughs> I can tell, yeah. You have the goofs every day. You, you were mocking me as I did the intro. <laughs> <laughs> but you held it together. You're very professional. Yes. I just didn't look that direction. It's always wise. He just stares straight ahead at the blank wall. You usually do not look this direction. I stare at the uh, Urutsuki Doji poster. Yeah, that should be distracting, more so than Michael. (laughs) Someday we should, like... Take a picture. Take a picture yeah. of the podcasting, oh, like the, sure. the war room. If we were more social media savvy, yeah, see probably. where the magic happens. Yeah, they could see your gaming table. How cool it is! That though. would be pretty cool. So today we are continuing our series all about anthology films, and we've got Jason's pick, which is Cat's Eye from 1985. And because it's a Jason pick, you know what you're getting. You're getting a little child endangerment. <laughs> I swear <laughs> to God, I'm not planning this. Um, you're like the Diet Coke version of Erica at the Unsung Horror Podcast. (laughs) She's more bloodthirsty than Um, I am. And let me, ooh, nice segue. Uh If you follow us on social media, you've probably already seen this, but I just wanted to mention it on episode to make sure that like, you know, some people don't do social media and that's cool. Good on you. Good on you. It's probably better that way. Um, I do want to on-ramp people to this stuff. So, um, I had the honor of joining our friends at Unsung Horrors to do a bonus episode with them. Yay! And we did uh, a part two to their bonus episode last year, which was all about Blu-ray wishlists. Uh, We each came up with five films that we super love or find interesting that we wish would have a proper Blu-ray release that doesn't yet. And we kind of got fun with it and like theorized, well, what label do you think would put this out? What kind of special features do you want to see? Some real nerdy shit. Some real nerdy shit. Um, Only you, man. Like When Eric and I were talking about it, she was like, would one of you guys want to come on the show? I was like, oh, that has to be Dustin. Yeah, <laughs> that's a total No Dustin question. Show. Dustin was born for this episode. Um, if you listen to us regularly, we mention them all the time. We love Unsung Horrors. We think it's a great show. So I was super happy to go hang with them for a while and talk movies. I'll link it in the show notes. You can go check it out if you've still not gotten around to it. And I may be biased, but it's very entertaining. It's very fun. It was a good episode. And, and thank you, Erica, for the wonderful things you had to say about us. That yes, really means a she's lot. She's lying. <laughs> well, she still said it, and people will believe it. So <laughs> she's that's all more, that matters. She's a lot more reputable than any of us. <laughs> so. But that's no, we really appreciate it. That's 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 great. Thank you. Okay. So with that out of the way, uh, before we roll into all our usual stuff, I've got a podcast shout out because we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. That's right. We love it. We think it's super cool. I love checking out all our other, uh, I guess, podcast family members, mm-hmm. as you might say. And so the one I've got to talk about this time is. The Bad Movie Bunny Podcast. Bad Movie Bunny Podcast. Yes. And now this was interesting because it's a show with one host, and she kind of just does a short monologue about a film. Hmm. Um, they're usually only about like 12 to 15 minute episodes. Interesting. So they're very like micro bite size, but they're very focused that way. And I actually, I think it takes a lot of talent to be a single host Oh, podcast. I couldn't imagine doing this by myself. Because you're, you're the whole thing. You have no one to bounce off of, no one to save mm-hmm. you. You've really got to be like... On your People flow. would know how much I suck if I was doing this by myself. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> no, so they I still know how much you suck, and you're doing it with two other dudes. Um, and so I listened to two episodes just to kind of try it out. One about Veronica from 2017. That was a Veronica. That was a Netflix horror film that I actually was interested in. And after hearing her go over it, I was like, hmm, yeah, I should go back for that one. Which one is that, briefly? Um, It's set in, like, a school, and they have a seance, and then there's some sort of demon or creature that's 
in the basement okay. and terrorizing the, the school. Oh. Veronica. <laughs> and I listened to the most recent one, and this was like a, a mind blow for me. Uh, it was a film called Manos, The Hands of Felt. The Hands of Felt. Do you guys know about this? I do not. So it is a like puppet reenactment of Manos, <laughs> The Hands of Fate. Oh, God damn. But it's not shot for shot, and it's kind of done like you have the puppets, and they incorporate a musical element, so there's some songs in there. But it's kind of about the making of the movie because they do this thing where they frame it like they're filming the stuff that will be the movie, but also some of it like Manos is an actual like wizard mystic kind of person. Okay, so it's like a like a what if behind the scenes of the actual Manos movie, but with puppets. portrayed with puppets. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, sounded ridiculous. I That's never knew high that existed. Right there. Yeah. So I've definitely got to seek that out now. And um, she also incorporates like a lot of written content on a blog. I guess it was maybe a blog first, and then the podcast spun out of that. Hmm. So if you're like us and you appreciate writing about film, go check that out, too. Very cool. The Bad Movie Bunny podcast. And awesome. my wife informed me last night that 12 to 15 minutes is her ideal podcast. <laughs> hey, this might be there the you go. Show. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is the perfect for her. So yeah. she never listens to ours, is what you're saying. Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Neither does my wife. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't make any bones about it. She's just like... <laughs> He's like, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Mine is like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Well, I appreciate know. the honesty. Hey. <laughs> All right, so uh, Jason, uh-huh. what have you been watching? Oh my gosh, I have to go first. Okay, I watched on Shutter uh, the film The Sadness from 2020. Oh, you watched yeah. it. Okay. I did. Mm-hmm. I want to know, I'm actually really interested to hear your take because... This was of, a festival darling I'm kind of tired yeah. of like the hype that it's getting. And I'm curious if you can back it up. Okay, okay. Um, in a word, I would say it's good. Okay. It didn't blow me away. It's nothing original. It's nothing new. I mean, we've seen it a hundred times. It's basically the crazies with 28 Days Later mixed with... Have you guys heard of that comic, uh, Crossed? Yes. Garth Ennis? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot like that. If it's Ennis, then... Because <laughs> they're not like just eating flesh or whatever. It's about... They just like want to torture people, right? They sexual perversion, depraved, stuff like and that. stuff, right? I've heard it's pretty on the extreme side. It, it is, but you guys know me. You know, you gotta. I, I can't tell anymore what's extreme and what isn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I know it when I see it, but I don't know what someone else is gonna think is extreme. It was, it was very mm-hmm. violent. There's some really good practical effects. Because I know, I know when it dropped on Shutter, and a lot of the horror groups, I was seeing people say like, "Oh, this is too much." Okay. So for for an average moviegoer, it would be it would be considered pretty extreme. Uh, if you're a big gore hound, if you watch like a Serbian film and shit like that, you're not gonna see anything new. Okay. Uh, but it, so to me, it's more of a fun kind of gore. You know, it never gets disturbing. Mm-hmm. And again, this is me. Um, and like the whole sexual perversion type stuff, it's it's almost tasteful. It's like off screen, basically. Like, you know what's going on, but it doesn't wallow in it. It's not uh, Lust of the Dead. Right, right. <laughs> um, like there's a scene very similar to a memorable one near the end of a Serbian film that happens to a character. But okay. unlike a Serbian film, it doesn't actually show it. Okay. Uh but I mean, it's it's amusing. It's fun, you know. It's some good gore. It's some good acting. It's well made. It's cool seeing a Taiwan horror film. Yeah, I don't think I ever have before. Cool. Uh, so I mean, I recommend it, but I don't think it's going to. If you're into extreme cinema, it won't really challenge or accept, uh, upset you. I think. But if you're more of the, you know, you don't really want to be. If you're not a gore hound, don't watch it. You won't, probably won't like it. Okay. Okay. That's. 
kind of what I thought your expectations would be of it. But it's a fine movie. It's good. Something I really need to point out, and this is where I kind of wish we had some video, is where Jason's talking about how much he loves extreme horror. And that... This that the sadness is probably like one of the ones that everybody was like, if you you'll turn it off, the normies will turn it off. <laughs> Jason is wearing a best cat dad ever shirt. <laughs> it's Father's Day with pictures of his cats on it, and I can't. I'm looking directly at him, and I can't not laugh because he's like, oh, dude, no, I've seen this shit before. Like. <laughs> Oh, whatever. Sexual violence is kind of tasteful. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> tasteful sexual violence. You want to see my cats? <laughs> well, I'm sure he wore the shirt also for this episode. Yes. Yeah, I, I did. just couldn't. It's multi-layered. <laughs> oh, but I can't. Uh, okay. Hey, you know, I don't like to be obvious. I don't want people to look at me and say, oh, he's into extreme gore films <laughs> he's into, and he's heavy into metal. Tasteful into... sexual violence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow. Okay, Michael. Yeah. All right. What have you watched? I watched um, one from 2021. I didn't know anything about it that it even existed, actually, but I saw it as a new edition on HBO Max Mm -hmm. um, from Paul Schrader, who is the guy who did Taxi Driver. Mm -hmm. Um, And Cat People, the remake. Don't forget that. Yeah. I mean, Paul Schrader's actually done a shit ton of stuff. Yeah, he's good. Not all of it's great, but... Mm -hmm. Um, and unfortunately, this one's kind of on the mediocre side, but oh, it has no. some really good things to to watch about it. Okay. It's from 2021 called The Card Counter. Um, and the reason that I went for it was because it stars my boy Oscar Isaac. Um, nice. as mu- I love Oscar Isaac, like, hands down. He's great. And as much as I love him in, like, his higher profile stuff like Star Wars and uh, Moon Knight, he really shines when he does more Indian offbeat stuff. Mm-hmm. So like fucking Annihilation, man. Right. He's so good in I that. I love that movie. Um, Inside Lou and Davis, if you guys have ever seen that. I watched that one. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I really liked it. Um, but it's just when he gets a chance to like really delve into a character and just become that character, I think he is so, so, so good. Hmm. Uh, the premise of the film is, I don't want to give too much away because there's some stuff that kind of hides in it and with some themes um but he is a gambler oscar isaac is a gambler with kind of a checkered past you don't fully know what that past is until it starts to play out through the film um but it kind of starts a lot of way the like rounders did Mm -hmm. um where it kind of follows when he's talking about like the ins and outs of card counting and gambling and stuff so he's a gambler does he know when to hold them? Does he know when to fold them? He actually does. Okay. Um, and he knows when to walk away and he knows when to run. See, I kind of dig movies that have this whole like gambling world thing So the cool on. thing is, is that's the the gambling thing is really just the surface of the film. Mm. And really the gambling is just more what he's figured out how to do um, to placate the PTSD that he has. Um, and you find out from his trauma, uh, he, he was a... a a prison guard in like Abu Ghraib mm. or Abu Ghraib. And if you know anything about that, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Like the stuff that hmm, yeah. people did to each other. Um, but he kind of takes it on himself to try to save this kid who's kind of headed down a dark path. My only issues with the movie is I feel like it splinters a lot. There's a lot of really good ideas that kind of splinter off into things that I don't feel get completed. Mm-hmm. If this were a four hour film, I think it could probably wrap everything up and be absolutely perfect. But because it's only two hours, you kind of like see where something could go and where Mm -hmm. it's like taking off, but it never hits there. 
But that being said, Oscar Isaac is so, so, so good in it. Um, absolutely amazing performance. There's like 20 minutes of Willem Dafoe, hmm. who's just fucking amazing in always, everything he does. Um, you know, the rest of it, it's it's great monologue. It's very neo-noir. Um, so if you kind of dig those films with inter- like the, the main characters kind of giving you the dialogue and the monologue and leading you through a lot like Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, shots are gorgeous. Um, honestly... I don't want to say it's bad. It's just not what I don't feel was complete. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's totally worth watching for Oscar Isaac's performance in general. He's just great in it. Uh, a lot of emotion, a lot of kind of veiled themes, and a lot of pretty heavy themes about like guilt and grief and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it was better than the internet is saying that it is. <laughs> <laughs> if you look on IMDb right now, it's sitting about a six. Oh, okay. Um, but I thought it was better than that. So okay. But yeah, Card Counter. It's on HBO Max. Cool. Interesting. How about you, Dustin? What you got? There was a new David Cronenberg film. There was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna tag you in on this, Jason, because mm-hmm. we actually went to see this together mm-hmm. in the theater. Yes. And it was amazing. This is Crimes of the Future. This year, David Cronenberg. Back to body horror. Back to body horror. Blew out of nowhere. Here it is. A whole new film. He's back on it perfectly. And wow, it just feels like the perfect, like, this is pretty much the future of existence in mm-hmm. a way, almost. Yeah. I don't think it's intentional, but that's like the vibe it gets. You get the, like, bio-organic technology that's really weird and creepy. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got all the classic Cronenberg tropes. You've got like the weird organizations, mm-hmm. kind of like in Scanners or Videodrome, where they all have these shady... Shady ideals about what's going on and power play and who's yeah. controlling Everyone what. Everyone has their own philosophies and mm-hmm. are after different things. Um, you've got weird bodily transformations going on. <laughs> Humanity's evolving and no one really knows what's going on with that or what's right or what even is a human anymore. You have strange, distant code characters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, it's just... I don't want to say too much because I think it's it's worth that experience to go through it. So I don't want to spoil too many things. Right. Um, but it's just so striking. And like the performances are great too because you got Vigo... He's just he's killing it. Yeah, Vigo's uh, Vigo, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Leah Sadu is great playing mm-hmm. off of him, like them together as the, the couple, the the artist and his assistant. And I the, even really like Kristen Stewart in this. Mm-hmm. I thought she was great. I want to talk about that because her character Timlin, like I think a lot of people don't believe Kristen Stewart's a great actor, and I don't think that's true. I think she's good, but I think it's one of those ones where you have to like know how to use her. Oh, definitely in your story. She, she needs and, the right director yeah. and everything. And I feel like a lot of people, especially recently, they try to like make her dial down on any of like the quirkiness. And what he did in this one was like make her lean into that and go even further to make this character that is this like fanboy obsessive, mm-hmm. like idolizing Vigo's character. And it really played out well. Mm-hmm. And especially the tension between the two of them, with like as her obsession mounted toward uh, was it Saul is his character's name? Yeah, yeah. Tensor Saul Tensor um, made some very interesting scenes. The only criticisms I can really give, and it's a, it's a very feigned criticism, and that's just that I wanted there to be more. Oh, yeah, me too. When it ended, I was like, wait, what? No, yeah. it's over already? No, it hasn't. No, there's more here. There's more story. <laughs> when it hits, like, you're ready for another hour to go yeah. on. Yeah. And it's just like, boom, it's done. And it makes its point, and it does have a finality. Like, sure. It ends like the central message, but yeah, oh, I wanted so much more still. But a lot of Chrono movies are like that. And mm-hmm. I think that's the mark of a really. 
it's the hand of someone who knows what they're doing. You should always you know, leave your master. viewer wanting more right. than, oh, yeah. than leaving them like, okay. Yeah. And you end it on the proper spot where you're just, ah, oh, I want don't, more. <laughs> don't leave them looking at their watch. Leave them being like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, is I think, well, one day maybe this would be a cool film to cover and like deep dive on. But to me, I got a lot of vibes of like, in some ways, this film felt like it was also about Cronenberg's career in a way, like as a mm-hmm. metaphor. Mm-hmm. Like if you take the weird like body horror art that Saul's doing and you like equate that to the films that Cronenberg has done. And then you've got this whole thing where there's at the start, he's kind of feeling washed up and there's these new people that are doing stuff. And he's like, you know, where do I fit into all of this? And he's wanting to go further and, like, do the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if this would have been the last Cronenberg movie, I could see it being as, like, the perfect final piece. Oh, if, if this is his last film, I'm um, happy. But I think they've already said, like, The Shroud, maybe this is this other film he's already got in the okay, works. So we may be lucky enough to still get more. Hey, but excellent. Bring it on. I love this film, and if you've enjoyed anything Cronenberg at all, definitely go check it out. Especially if you love Videodrome and Existence. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good time. Like, if you dig this, go back and check out Existence because it's had a pretty lukewarm reception. God, but it's underrated. It is God, so it's underrated. So underrated. Yeah. yeah. Was that that one? Might have been on my top five in my. Um, in it our, either was or it was an honorable talk, mention. Yeah. yeah. It was in there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love that one. Okay. Crimes of the future. Go see it. All right, so today we are talking about Cat's Eye from 1985, directed by Louis Teague. And notably, the screenplay is written by Stephen King, and it is adapting some of his short fiction. Who's that? <laughs> well, we should definitely talk about Stephen King for a bit, because I think this is the first time we've really focused on anything yeah, I, of his right. on the show. Definitely. And so he, who, he ruled the 80s. Who is Stephen King? Who is Stephen King? He's Jason. a writer. <laughs> yeah. He's a famed horror writer. Um, yeah, I mean, modern horror wouldn't be what it is without Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm i a big King critic, too. Like, a lot of his stuff I adore. More stuff I'm, like, whatever on. I'm yeah. the same way. Yeah. And, and I know where his antecedents come from. Like, I don't think he would exist without Richard Matheson. Right. For instance. Um, but I mean, every writer builds up on what came before, so that's mm-hmm. not you know. Thankfully, King is like a cool enough dude that I think he'd happily say that. Oh like, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. I think he would own up to that. He's no such problem. a fanboy himself. Of, yeah. Like he champions, uh, and that's one of the things I actually like about King more than his writing because I'm kind of lukewarm on a lot of his stuff, honestly. Um, but I love that he champions other writers, mm-hmm. and he's more. He does more than just the blurb on a book. Of, I mean, he he made Clive Barker's career. Yep, and Evil Dead. It wouldn't have gotten nearly the reaction yeah. it got if it wasn't for King's quote on there. It's just yeah. to have that sort of influence in the horror world. It's just absolutely mm-hmm. amazing, or just in any world, yeah. Really, that your quote makes or breaks yeah. something. That's all and, you need to know. You know, you know like it. I think when Barker talked about putting out books of blood, and King said like this is the future of horror mm-hmm. or something, and Barker was like. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, and now it started like selling. Yeah, because no one would touch those for the longest time. I think that is part of what makes him so enduring is that he does kind of have his finger like right there in everything, like within the medium he's working in. He's like right there, also promoting it just the same. Mm-hmm. I love his positivity too. Mm-hmm. He's such a like he doesn't shit on things. It's more like I love this. Yeah. Um, 
I think it was actually said that um, the newest season of Stranger Things is darker because of him. Hmm. Because he put out some tweets saying, like, I really wish they would have leaned into the horror <laughs> of this a little bit more. And which Stranger Things is a total homage to everything oh, Stephen yeah. King. So they were the writers were like, yep, we got you. <laughs> and so, of course, this season, I mean, whether you like it or not, it's a lot, lot darker than the others. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, and yeah, the 80s was just, it was dominated by Stephen King, books and movies. And cocaine. <laughs> and mountains of cocaine. I mean, Maximum Overdrive was paid for in coke. I yeah, think. I think so. I, I think that is. I, I think I think it's actually just sentient cocaine became that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, this is based on two of his short stories that were published in Night Shift. Great collection, by the way. That also has like Children of the Corn in it. Yep. Um, and... The third story in this movie he wrote just for this movie. And in a way, it's kind of also the frame story because yeah. the, the early parts of it thread through the first two. Right. And we'll, of course, get to that. Um, you know, I also think that collection has Sometimes They Come Back. It does. It does. Yeah, that's also made into a film and has some ties to this movie. It does. It does. Which we'll get into. Indeed. So, Jason, would you mm-hmm. like to hit us with the synopsis? I will. Uh, okay, so being an anthology film... It has three distinct stories within it, with kind of a wraparound revolving around a cat. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is actually kind of part of a renaissance for anthology films in the 80s, I think, because we had Creep Show before this, mm-hmm. which was also Stephen King. Groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twilight Zone was out uh, around the same time, a movie called Nightmares, uh, From a Whisper to a Scream, Creep Show 2. And produced in the 80s, like Tales of the Dark Side. It didn't come out until like 1990. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, there were a lot of anthologies during the 80s. And, uh, well, I mean, uh, the synopsis, well, we can just go through the stories. and Yeah, we'll, we'll hit it as we go. Yeah. We, don't, we need no more to, right, right, to go right. into it. Okay. So when the film opens, it begins with the most like blatant Stephen King fan service I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, we, we meet our cat, who later we get the name General. We'll probably just refer to yeah, him we'll as that. Yeah, we'll call him General. Uh, I think right out of the gate, before we even get into the movie, we have to talk about how amazing this cat is. This is the best cat. Well, they actually use like 12 cats, I think. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, they're all They're all well-trained, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a very personable, very photogenic cat. And you guys know, like I've harped on this um, with uh, the the Green Knight with the Northman throwing in those CGI animals. Mm-hmm. If they made this today, they would do a CGI cat, and it would be fucking terrible. Yep, it would be. And this one is so good because, like, the cat is emotive; it has emotions, and you can see it in the film as you're going. Mm-hmm. And it's so expressive and does so many different actions throughout the film. Yeah, anyone who doesn't like cats says, oh, I'm a dog person. I don't like cats. Watch this movie. It might change your mind. <laughs> and we are all cat fans here on the show, mm-hmm. certainly. I mean, we were supposed to record this two nights ago, and I had a cat emergency. Yes. Right. So we had to postpone the recording <laughs> for my cat emergency. So, yeah, we're all cat dudes. Um, so we see this stray cat, and it's kind of just walking through the streets. Oh, he ain't stray. He belongs to himself, Dustin. <laughs> he has a mission. He's on a mission, which we find out shortly. He's on a mission. We don't know what, but he's going. And immediately he runs into, what else would you expect but Cujo, the, the legendary horror icon from another Stephen King story. <laughs> yeah, this big slavering St. Bernard. And interesting enough, Louis Teague, the director of this movie, directed Cujo. Ah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a testament to how good this looks because I forgot about this. Like, I saw this in high school. And I had vague memories, but I didn't have very, like, defined memories. 
and it, it looks just like the Cujo from Yeah, it could Cujo be one film. of the dogs they yeah. used. Yeah. And so the cat, of course, runs away from this dog, as you would. And it is almost hit by a uh, Plymouth Fury that screeches to a halt in front of it. Yeah. And you recognize it immediately. I mean, it's Christine. Mm-hmm. But in case you don't, for some reason, <laughs> you're like under a rock during the 80s. There's a bumper sticker on the back that says, I am pure evil. I am Christine. Yeah. I loved that. It was so cool. <laughs> and also a bumper sticker that says, long live rock and roll, which mm-hmm. I can get behind that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the cat runs off. Mm-hmm. Um... And Cujo stops. actually chases him for quite Cujo a while. Cujo chases yeah. him for a while. He, he jumps in the back of a truck, right? Mm. The cat does. It's a shipping truck that seems to be for a cigarette company. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Which may which, come into play later. Yeah, which it's, it's leading us directly into our first story. That's one of the things that I like about Cat's Eye so much is the attention to connecting everything. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if this was like the MCU, but for Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like his in-game where they bring in, like, all the characters or whatever. Yeah. Is and it his dry run for um, the Gunslinger stories? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dark Tower. We should talk about that later, maybe, after we get through this. Okay. But um, another thing I like, too, is we have three stories, and they're each in three very distinct settings mm-hmm. that are different from one another. Yep. Uh, and the cat's, like, walking along the street, and he sees this dummy of a little girl in a, in a window shop. And we're in New York. This is where they yeah. drop it off. Right. We're in New York. And... Uh, there's like superimposed Drew Barrymore on the dummy, on the mannequin, saying, come, please help me. He's after me. He's going to find me. You've got to come help it's me. Some kind of like psychic emanation, right. almost. Which, speaking of Drew Barrymore and psychic powers... She was also in Firestarter. She got this job because of Firestarter. Because King was so impressed with her. Which, I just got a remake, too. I've not seen it, but... Yeah, and the poster's like almost identical. Yeah. I read it's very forgetful. Yeah, the original's pretty fun. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I think it's a better book than a movie on that one. So as the cat's trying to kind of figure out where to go next to go find this girl and help her, a random dude on the street just kind of scoops him up, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, the cat I needed. <laughs> I need this save cat. He said, you saved me a trip to the pound. Yeah. And he goes to walk into a building, and the camera just kind of pans to a car that pulls up, and then immediately we're just shunted into this first story, mm-hmm. which is Quitter's Inc. Yes. And, and I mean, love how it does that. I yeah. love how it just flows right into it. Yeah, there's no title card. These stories are very economical, and I always appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And in the car, we see James Woods. Back before he was a garbage person. <laughs> <laughs> Jason and I were discussing last night. I was like, God, James Woods was so good, and he turned out to be such a horrible human <laughs> being. <laughs> he, I think he was one of our best actors. I really do. He was so good, and... That's one of those things where you just almost wish social media never happened, so that way you mm-hmm. never knew how horrible he was, and you could just continue to be like, "Ah, James Woods." And he is so good in this. Story. Oh yeah, he kills I it. Mean, he every every actor is very capable in this movie, mm-hmm. but he just he steals it. Every scene he steals it. And it's funny because he very much reminds me of his character in Videodrome, and this yeah. is roughly the same time period. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It could be Max. Rain, well, so he's being dropped off. By a buddy who mm-hmm. tells him, because you find out he's wanting to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. And he's being dropped off at this Quitters Inc. place because they're known for. And that's I N C, period, not I N K. Yeah. Thank- Incorporated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. No problem. It's not about like writers who just give up. God damn it. Um, yeah, he wants to quit smoking uh, for the family, for the kid. And so the reputation is this place will do it. Yeah, yeah the so guy says it'll change your life. It's got radical methods, but it's supposed but it'll to do it. it'll yeah. change your life. And so as he goes upstairs, he 
walks into the place. It's pretty unassuming. Yeah, it's just a simple yeah, it's office, like a office, office yeah. building. And he noticed there's a dude sitting there, like, kind of <laughs> sobbing like a baby. Crying. Yeah, he's very, very, like, his clothes are loose and falling off. And yeah. he looks roughed up. And, and one of the things I love is that Wood's character, do you know his name? Do you know his uh, name? Dick Morrison. Dick yeah. Morrison. So he's talking to the receptionist, and he's trying to like chum it up and be kind of salesy with her, and mm. she's just like, Fuck "Yeah, off. fill this out, go sit down." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and he re- like he sits down and immediately, like without even thinking, pulls out a cigarette, of course, and gets ready to start lighting up. And, and if nothing makes you reminds you that this is set in the eighties, that it was made in the eighties, all the smoking, this was all very real. Yeah, yeah. everyone smoking everywhere, everywhere, anywhere you smoked. And so, as he's filling out this thing, he looks around. Well, he doesn't end up lighting up because he realizes, like, oh. Yeah, he's looking around for, like, a lighter or something. And he's seeing all these signs about no smoking, smoking will kill you. And the guy looks up and sees a cigarette. (laughs) And it starts blowing even more. And you find out why, because, like, a second later... um, this woman is escorted through a door and she mm. looks extremely disheveled. Like she's just had the shit kicked out of her. Yeah, just like him. Yeah, just like him. And um, like he's trying to get a hold of her to like escort her out of the building. She's like so Sit, mad at him. Hitting him with the purse and yeah. stuff, yelling at him. And do you notice the receptionist smiling at this? Yeah. <laughs> like that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, every time she's just grinning. <laughs> so. Now they come through, and uh, well, Woods is freaked out, and he's going to leave. Yeah, but then the head guy comes out and grabs him. Yeah, because he even tells her like, "Oh, I, I don't think I need help. I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to leave." Yeah, and that's that's right when we meet uh, Doctor Vincent Donati, played uh-huh. by Alan King, and he is great in this role. Why do I think the doctor is self-ascribed? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I don't think, but the I don't think Woods' character would have worked without Donati, though. No. You really oh, yeah, needed those two really to play well. so well. And Alan mm-hmm. King does good. I mean, he's very much a gangster. You know, this yeah. guy's a gangster. And so as he walks into the office, he sits down, and he says, you got cigarettes on you? You know, and, <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, and he pulls out the pack. And so, he does it to hand him one to smoke. Yeah. You notice yeah. that? Like, yeah. And he takes the cigarettes from him, and he lays them out in front of his desk, and it just like goes crazy and smashes them all. And Woods thinks this is the epitome of like the methods, you right. know, he's looking at him like he's just insane. But did you also notice when he's arranging them all in a nice neat row, yeah. Woods look of lust. He's just <laughs> looking down at these cigarettes and just, Oh, he just, it's just a great acting choice. But I will say this though. It's true because oh. I haven't smoked in 13 years, mm-hmm. 13 or 14 years. And I still sometimes will smell one, and I'm like, God yeah, damn it. Right. It's like any addiction. Even you though know, I know it. how disgusting it is and like mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. horrible it is and it will kill me and everything bad about it, I'm still like, God damn it. I could just like, <laughs> just like a taste of it would be so good. Uh-huh. So you, I get it. I yeah. totally get it. Yeah, and he smashes them all up and everything. And, and yeah, Woods wants out. Oh, seriously, Dick wants out. I keep referring to him as the actor and not the character. Um, and they lock the door. They don't let him leave. Mm-hmm. And they kind of scuffle some. And during this, Donati says that um, their founder, he had a lot of smoking problems. And like his issues later in life is what inspired this company. And they developed this whole method that has a 100% success rate. <laughs> Never fails if you go through to the end. Yep. But he shows him. He gives a little demonstration of some of their methods. Yeah. And then this one first method he shows them is you see the cat, General. Mm-hmm. And he's dumped into this room with a wire floor, and you know exactly what it is, that it's wired up to be an electric floor. And I'm immediately like, please don't do that. <laughs> like, I know this is the 80s. Please don't hurt that cat. 
Um, I'm pretty sure they do not actually hurt the cat. I, I've got the notes for it. Okay, we can get into it. Excellent. So they, he ends up like the cat is given some food and he ends up playing this music. And I, what was the song? Twist and Shout. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. A cover of Twist and Shout. Right. Everything was a cover. Heard. There's several popular there's songs. There's one that's not. There's yeah. several popular songs in this, and most of them are covers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it starts playing Twist and Shout. Well, the cat leaves the food immediately, and he's and Donati starts trying to tell him like it's part of the conditioning. The the music is conditioned yeah, sure him. Is. Um, mm-hmm. But then he turns on the electric floor, and poor General is like hopping from spot to spot in the room while he's being electrocuted, mm-hmm. and Donati kind of lets him know like hey this could be your wife or your daughter and there's a really interesting thing is when he's filling out uh when dick is filling out the paperwork um donati's looking over it and he said now where does your daughter go to school yeah yeah yeah. and dick's like i'm pretty sure my smoking addiction doesn't have anything to do with where my daughter goes to school (laughs) and that's where you already know like oh shit this is a weird and I do love that Morrison gets upset about the cat getting shocked. Right. Like, he's like, oh, you're killing it. Stop. You know? Yeah, it sets up his character a Save little bit. the cat. You know, it makes you kind of like um, the character. So how they did this, the sparks were just like a visual effect. That's what I thought. And the uh, the handler for the cat was under the grating, and he would shoot these little air puffs up that would, like, oh. hit the cat's feet. And the cat knew when that happened, it was supposed to jump. Okay. And so that was how they pulled that shot off. Nice. It looks real. Were oh, the yeah. sparks really there or the opticals? Do you know? I don't know about that. There yeah. was a lot of optical in this movie. Like oh, yeah. a, a lot of rotoscoping. So yeah. I feel like it was probably done that way. Especially since they did that so much in the third act. Yeah. yeah. But the point is they didn't hurt the cat. Yeah. Right. But it, it looks so good the way they've shot it and framed everything. Mm-hmm. And later on, we kind of flash forward a little bit and James Woods is at home watching The Dead Zone. <laughs> yeah. Another Stephen King. <laughs> well, an important thing to not it tells him though. Well, Before it, he leaves. There's like a flashback thing. Oh, that's a flashback? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Dead Zone, also directed by David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nice. He's got a break. <laughs> a break. And I love it because he gets up and he's like, who writes this crap? <laughs> who writes this crap? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's three rules. Well, four. There's four. Okay, you get four fences, right? Mm-hmm. He, uh, Donnie goes by this. And he's, he's petting the cat as he does this too, like the Godfather. <laughs> the first offense is they put his wife in the cat room. If he smokes. A little shocker. A little right. Bit. And the second offense is they put his daughter in the cage. Third offense, they sent someone to rape his wife. Yeah. And he says that so coldly. Yeah. That you're like. He's like, we have a very deranged individual here who, just for that purpose. Yeah. He Christ. says that so coldly. You're like, oh, fuck. This, is, yeah. this isn't a joke. And it's a good juxtaposition because the first part of this is so like lighthearted and kind of comical. Mm-hmm. And then just out of nowhere, you're just like a semi truck hits you, like a Stephen King story. And <laughs> there you are in this very serious situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fourth smoke he takes, they just kill him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll just shoot him. Like he, he pulls his vest open and there's a gun there. You know, and I think he tells him what not to worry because most people never even get close to the fourth one. Yeah. But they, they guarantee 100% success rate. But he, <laughs> but he reminds him that. You may see some of the people mm-hmm. that we have watching you, but we promise you, you'll never see all of them. Yeah. yeah you'll, like, you'll see some of them all the time, all of them some of the time, but never all of them all of the time. Yeah, because he tells him at first it's 24-hour surveillance, because at the beginning is the hardest part, and then they'll kind of lax that as he goes. Yeah. And so, he's at home, and he's he's super, super, like, he's already thrown the... TV remote down and like hey, he's already angry and pissed he's off angry. <laughs> and, and his wife who is just absolutely adorable there's 
and I think it's, she's cast that way on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like she's just so likable and lovable. That she's like, you haven't had a cigarette in six hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, but he tells her he's like, I'm trying to quit smoking for for you and and what's his daughter's name? Mm. Alicia. Alicia. Alicia yeah. Yes, yes, Alicia, who is played also by, by Drew, Drew Barrymore. Barrymore. She has three roles in this film. Mm-hmm. I thought she looked familiar, but they yeah. do it. They put a weird costume on. Yeah, they got her like a like, wig and glasses and yeah. everything. And she actually does a really good job acting too. Yeah. Um, and the wife, uh, Cindy, is played by Mary Darcy. Okay. There you go. And he's trying. To, he's like, no, I'm trying to quit for you and Alicia. And she's like, well, that's the sweetest thing. Even if you fail. <laughs> I.e., you're going to fail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if you fail, it's the sweetest thing. And uh, so that night, like, everything goes normally. goes mm. to bed. But at night, he gets up. Of course, he can't sleep. He's got, can't the, sleep. got the jitters. He's got the jitters. Goes to his office. And he's got, finds a pack of cigarettes in there. And he's like. Uh, they'll not know. <laughs> yeah, he's know? looking around and everything. It's the middle of the night. There's yeah. no way he'll know. And uh, so he gets ready to light up that cigarette, and then he notices something in the closet or sound in the closet. The closet opens a little. Yeah, it just creaks open a little yeah. slightly. And he's instantly reminded about the people that are supposed to be watching him. So he doesn't light up the cigarette. but He, he still goes, has it in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. He goes to the closet, and he opens it, and he's like kind of looking in the closet, and he doesn't see anything. Mm-hmm. Well, the vacuum cleaner falls out. But he's yelling yeah. into the closet, you know, like, I didn't light it. Yeah. I didn't light it. Yeah. Um, well, I love it because he, he picks. He has he, an umbrella. He has an umbrella. And he just goes to kind of throw it back in the closet because the vacuum cleaner falls out. He doesn't think anyone's in there. And he hears a, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and then he looks and he sees the wet boots on the on the floor behind all the clo- clothes and stuff. But he, re- he and that's when he's like, I, I didn't smoke it. I didn't smoke it. I didn't and he smoke takes it out of his mouth and like snaps it. Like, I don't care. I don't, I don't even want it. Yeah. <laughs> and then notably the next morning when he goes into that like little study office area, he does see there's like muddy footprints coming out of the closet. Dun, dun, dun. And they do a good like paranoia thing from this point forward where like he's out in their front yard and he sees like just a guy going down the street. He's jogging. Jogging. But he's jogging on like loafers, <laughs> and he kind of just looks at him because he has he has like that mobster vibe to him yeah. a little bit. But yeah. he's like, "Hmm, who is that guy?" It could be the deranged individual that Donati spoke of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our next scene, we get he goes to visit his daughter at St. Stephen's School, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he brings her a little doll, cabbage a, patch doll. Yep, nice little gift. And while he's there, he actually notices Donati. He just, oh, happens to be there. Yeah, he just comes walking around the corner. <laughs> oh, hey. And he reminds Donati when he sees him, he's like, I didn't smoke it. I didn't smoke it. And he's like, I know you didn't smoke it. Because if you had, your wife would be in that cage yeah, right we'd now. we'd be having this conversation in the office, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very threatening. Like, mm-hmm. everything about this, everything about Donati is so threatening and so calculated. And you know that he means every second of it. Mm-hmm. Which makes it terrifying. Yeah. Um. They kind of have a little back and forth there, whatever, and he just reminds him, you know, like, you can do this, you know, we, yeah. it doesn't have to go any other way. And although he's threatening, but he's also always smiling. You yeah. know, it's always this unctuous, like, car salesman type <laughs> deal he's got. But that evening, though... Um, That's when they go to the party. They go right? to the party. Yeah. I love this, this is this like scene. one of the best scenes in this segment. <laughs> it's great. Every single person in the room of this big '80s party is smoking, and there's this huge miasma of cigarette smoke hanging in the air. Uh, he, it, like, he's obviously 
really struggling through it and everything. <laughs> yeah. He gets up and tries to walk away. And uh, I forget that the actor who is the one who's kind of like, have a cigarette. Come yeah. on, yeah, have he's, a cigarette. He's drunk and he's trying to get James Woods That guy smoke. is so familiar and he's been in a bunch of stuff and I can't remember who he is. Because Dick tells him like, oh no, I'm trying to quit. And then he almost starts teasing him about it. Yeah. He also goes for the cigarette first. Oh, mm. no, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then it... It kind of turns into like this little bit of a fever dream mm. for Dick. <laughs> I love how it's shot too. It's so just like psychedelic almost. Yeah, there's the like a fisheye lens and stuff like that. The dude blows smoke out of his ears. <laughs> yeah, he's and, looking around. It's like people are serving hors d'oeuvres and they have like little eyes in them that open up. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where we get um, eyes open up. The, the police song, right? Every breath you take. Yep. Which lyrically is so perfect for this segment because mm-hmm. you look at the lyrics and almost like parallels what's you. going on. Yeah, but it's a cover. Yeah, it is. It is one they, of the covers. They couldn't afford the original. It's a pretty close cover. It works. Yeah, it's fine. I you thought know what it was it is. the real deal at first. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's like, even the kids at the party are smoking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, too, he's looking at some of the people. Like, there's one point where the his uh, wife Cindy's talking to someone, mm-hmm. and he looks at him almost like he doesn't recognize him, and he wonders if that's one of the Quitters Inc. Yeah. people. Yeah. It's very much the paranoia has turned up to eleven mm-hmm. by now for sure. And he sees in his mind, he sees Donati dancing down the stairs, yeah. wearing like a Saturday Night Fever type get up, singing, yeah, miming the words yeah. of the song, lip syncing. Uh, <laughs> so so good. And he tells his buddy to shove the cigarettes up his ass. <laughs> lit, his buddy, yeah, lit, lit. <laughs> um, so we skip some time after this. He, he's been going through the process. He, he's stayed smoke-free so far, mm-hmm. but he winds up in a traffic jam. Oh, that's the worst place to be for a yeah. smoker, right? And it's, it's this obnoxious one where like the car in front of him has kids, and the kids are fighting. Mm-hmm. This like convertible pulls up beside him, and it's a dude making out with his lady. Yeah, I bet his car doesn't even have AC. Didn't seem like <laughs> it. And he goes to get something out of the glove box. I forget what it was. I don't know. He's just, he's just looking around in the glove mm-hmm. box, and a uh, pack of cigarettes comes out. That's the worst. And he's like looking around. Right, because he's leaned over to pick everything up. Yeah. And he's like, ooh. And he starts digging around that and finds one. And it's like a man dying of thirst <laughs> in the desert when he does this. And he puts on his sunglasses and he's, he's looking around a little bit more and goes back down and starts smoking it. But he's like waving. He's waving. He's like yeah. trying yeah. to wave. hand above the window. And so he finally... And he's chuckling to himself like he's getting away with it. Yeah. You know? And so then he gets the... A horn blows at him, yeah. and he he jumps up and realizes that, cigarette in mouth. <laughs> yeah, cigarette in mouth. That every that the traffic jam's moved, and he looks over and he notices the guy who was making out with this girl in the convertible is looking at him. Yeah, like just smiling. <laughs> Look out, we got gotcha. you. Yeah, and so he he immediately like drives panicked, and he's like, mm-hmm. oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, and he drives to his house. Oh, and that drawbridge that was causing the traffic backup that was also used in Maximum Overdrive. Yep. Ah. So so many little yeah. king connections. Mm-hmm. And so he, he knows what's going to happen. So he's driving to his house like a madman mm-hmm. trying to get there. Well, he gets home and he sees that the screen is punched in. Um, something's burning on the stove. Something's burning on the stove. Yeah. Cindy's gone. Cindy is gone. And so he knows exactly where to go. Yeah. Um, well, when he gets to the office, Donati's there. With, you know, With Junk, his henchman. Yep. <laughs> his name's Junk. Yeah, he has some great lines in the scene. He too. does. Yeah. <laughs> his wife is obviously confused. Why am I? What's going on? Mm-hmm. What's What's happening here? Um, 
Well, then they turn it on. Yeah, they have a scuffle because he's trying to stop them. Yeah, yeah. And that's when the cat gets loose. And Chunk says, oh, fiddlesticks. Oh, fiddlesticks. <laughs> and he's just sitting there. And, and the then... guy, Donati's wrestling with Morrison, and he says, forget the cat, you hemorrhoid. <laughs> <laughs> and you notice at this point, too, that they're using PG-13 language. Yeah. You know, intentionally to get a PG-13 rating. But it makes it more funny. It, I think so, yeah. I love how this movie is so much fun. We'll talk more about that later, too. Uh, yeah, but then they yeah they they get him calmed down. They get him you they know push him down in the chair. And right, just make him sit there make and him watch, watch it. the cat. The, he even the cat, the at wife. one point he like tries to tilt his head away and they push his head back. Yeah, make him watch and the cat the, the cat. I keep saying the cat. The woman keeps jumping around because she's getting shot. And they do a great effect of her hair like getting blown out. Yeah, yeah. And they're also playing the original great track of '96 Tears by Question Mark and the Mysterians. That song sounded really cool, and I knew it. So it's something I'd heard before. Yeah, but it's I a great remember. song. It's a really cool song, and it's that I love that juxtaposition between the song and what's happening. You know, cause yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. Uh, it makes Dick break down. It just devastates him to see this happen to his wife. Um, <laughs> and then General gets away. Yeah, General runs away. We see him running out the building and stuff. Um, and then we see Junk and Donati looking at a monitor mm-hmm. of the waiting room. James Woods is out there, and his wife's coming out. And they make a little bit. Junk's like, how come there's no sound? And the naughty's like, I've seen this a million times. I know what's going on. You don't happen. need sound. Yeah, I she, know what it's saying. Yeah, she's either going to hug him or slap him. And Junk says, she's going to slap him. He says, you're on. I bet I get 10 bucks. She's going to slap him. You're on. And it's interesting because it's all, you realize now this is that scene of the other couple when yeah. he first came in. Right. But now it's happening to them. Yep. And, and she it, doesn't slap him. It, but it looks like she's going to. Uh-huh. Like, and he's trying to explain everything. And it looks like she's going to. And then she hugs him. And Donati just like lays his hand <laughs> over. <laughs> it's just, and Junk's darn hands him the bill. It's. I think it's a really crucial scene because you see just how cold yeah. like, this business is, mm-hmm. this incorporation is with people's lives. You know, right. like. Yeah. Yes, they're trying to get you to quit smoking, but it's all a gimmick. It's like doctors making a joke over a patient that's wide open beneath them or something, you yeah. know, because they do this all the fucking time. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> very cool. They're completely detached from the situation. Uh, oh, and then we see the cat get on a ferry mm-hmm. and start going across one of the rivers. I don't know which. But everything's kind of, <laughs> everything's good now. Like we, yep. we find out six months pass. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is ac- absolutely the thing that sold this entire first bit for me. I already liked it, but it wasn't until the six-month mark when he goes back and his interaction with Donati then. It's like they're buddies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's it, weighing it, him. It's obviously a little uncomfortable still, but they're joking back and forth. And he, yeah. At this point, Dick knows the game. Yeah. Like, he gets it. Okay, yeah, you guys did what you said you were going to do. I haven't smoked. Yeah. <laughs> And so he's weighing him now, and he's like, they're haggling over. Yeah, like he where, keeps moving the yeah, scale they're down, haggling so. over where the scale should land, and he tells him, and he's like, I'm going to set you on a limit. You right. know, because they like, learned that he's gained weight since he right. quit smoking. It's only eight pounds. Because he said one of the biggest things when people first quit smoking is they gain weight. And so we can't have you gaining weight. And so I'm going to set you at a limit. And he said, I've only gained six pounds and uh, eight pounds in six months. You know, it's not really that bad. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, as they're going out, he hands them... He hands him diet pills, and he's like, these diet pills are extremely illegal. These are highly <laughs> illegal. Uh, but he tells him, like, well, Dick asks him, so if I can't hit my limit, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And just as casual as possible, he says, oh, we'll just cut off your wife's little finger. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll send somebody to cut off your wife's mm-hmm. finger. And, and so, he laughs. Hi, <laughs> cut off my wife's finger. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And it ends, the, the sketch ends with uh, 
Dick and his wife sitting at a dinner table. Yeah, with, they're having a dinner party with his friend. That who, took him to Quitters Inc. Right. There, yes. And his wife. And they prop- he proposes a toast to Quitters Inc. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone's like, Quitters Inc. You know, they're all hype, happy and energetic about it. But the wife of his friend she doesn't want to, She doesn't want to toast. <laughs> and so he holds the glass. And when she toasts, he notices that she is missing, missing her, her little, finger. little finger. And it's... Yeah, recently sewed up, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not too long ago. Perfect little stinger. Yeah, I, it was so good. It was so good. And that is the end of that story. And there's this lingering horror, too, because it's suggested with this weight loss thing, but they're clearly just going to run his life for the rest of his life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's never going to stop. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, all. Yeah. It'll always be something. And it's, it's interesting because, in a way, it's almost like he's, he's traded one addiction for another, which sure. is, is a you know, very real danger when you're trying to kick something like this. Mm-hmm. And well, I don't know how much they're charging Morrison, but this cannot be cost effective. These, these people are doing it because they believe it. Yeah. You know, it's like an ethos for them. Mm. But how many people have you met, though, that fall into the, the gimmicks of quitting something or mm. dieting or like the diet fads or the gimmicks? Mm. And, and they're always like so serious about it and they're always so convinced that it's going to work and it's always so fucking horrible for mm-hmm. their body. Yeah. Or I think about other stuff too, and I don't want to be super critical about this, but like, uh, there are a lot of rehab programs where they base it heavily in like Christianity or something. Right. And you watch those people, they trade out the addiction they had just for being like very obsessively religious. Yeah. And in, in a way, they've not really recovered from their right. addictive you, behavior. Right, you're just trading yeah. one thing for another. And arguably, is it as bad? Maybe, maybe not. It mm-hmm. could be, you know, but yeah, right, right. exactly. Uh, but this leads us into our next segment. Yep. Called The Ledge. And... It, the Kinda. cat's in Jersey. <laughs> he ends up in uh, Atlantic City. Yep. General gone to Jersey, boys. <laughs> He's going to do some gambling. Uh, and, okay. I saw this when it came out on video, I guess. So it's probably like 86 or something, so I'm like 11 years old. I was born! <laughs> Shut up. Uh, so I, this may have been the first anthology film I watched. Oh, wow. Because like five minutes into this, I'm asking my mom, well, what's this all about? What's going on with the guy, the lady with the finger and stuff like that? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize they were separate stories. Wow. You still didn't. <laughs> I didn't until I rewatched it recently. You're like, yo, where's the lady with the finger? Hey, Is she coming back? Where's the finger lady? I want to see <laughs> the cat room. Um, General has another vision of Drew Barrymore's character. This time on TV, TV commercial. Mm-hmm. And she's still beseeching him to come and help her and save her. Yeah, and Drew Barrymore's playing the girl in the commercial. <laughs> we're all just staring at Michael's what? yawning. He yawns. Uh, yeah. um, and so Are we we're, boring you? <laughs> it's 8.58 p.m., gentlemen. Oh, you're right. Um, I'm, so, I'm the old one. So we get like a lot of cool shots of Atlantic City itself and mm-hmm. the casinos and everything. Um, and we're introduced to this um, this gambler. Named Cressner. Mr. Cressner. Played by Kenneth McMillan. One of the greatest that guys ever. <laughs> yeah, that dude's been in everything. I like how they introduce him too, where he's walking through the casino and the camera's behind him, and it's like they're delaying showing you his face, like it's this big deal or something. Mm-hmm. And it's also letting that's how you, you know he's a big shot. Yeah, yeah, letting you know how important he is and everything. Um, as he's leaving, he's actually on his way out yep. of, of the casino, and he makes a bet with a dude. Who was the guy? We get some little like crumbs of clues where uh-huh. he's, he's having a problem with his wife. She's right. like running around behind his back. Um, and then it's just like another, like one of his friends that's in this whole like circle of people that are obsessed with gambling and they're going to go maybe to a restaurant and then they notice general across the street. And it's like one of those terrible, like what well, there's probably like six, eight yeah, lanes. Six lanes yeah. like that. 
and he's trying to come across the street. And so just like on a whim, because they'll bet on anything, they walk, they craft this bet on whether the cat can make it across the road. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to, he's trying the uh, Crestor bets that the cat will make it. Yeah. And the other guy says he doesn't. And he's like, well, can I do whatever I want? He's like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> so he's calling for the cat to come over there. Right. And his, his, his dame, his girl, his gun mall, who was upset about this cat, hoping it wouldn't get hit, now leans down and starts coaxing the cat too because right, you know, there's $2,000 on the yeah. line. Right? Well, of course General's not going to get hit. Um, but as the cat makes it across the street and jumps into his arms and everything. Well, it's funny because Kressner actually helps the cat. He like times it. Yeah, to make you're sure. sitting there going, okay, not yet. Wait, yeah, wait. Now, out. yeah, and then the cat runs and this causes a big car crash. So it kind of already gives you the the sense that Kressner will kind of bet on anything, mm-hmm. you know, and and also that he feels that he is in control of everyone else enough that he can bet on everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I think that was the biggest thing there is he was so in control of the situation that there's no way he could lose the get the the sense that's how his life goes. Yeah. And so his driver, he tells him, you know, I've, have you been in touch with Ducky? Ducky. And yeah. uh, Henchmen have the great names. There's some yes. great goons in this. Yeah. And, it, and it says, yeah, Ducky's founder. You know, she's with him. He's in a, they're in a, what's a 60-something? Mustang, something. yeah. White yeah, Mustang. She's Six, with, uh, 68, I think. Yeah. Johnny Norris, who's a former tennis pro. Mm-hmm. What has Johnny Norris been in? Uh, Robert Hayes, dude, airplane. Robert Hayes, that, yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah. God, the whole time I was looking at him, I was like, why do I know you? Yeah. Why do I know you? That's the biggest reason. Okay. He was also in the short-lived uh, TV version of Starman. Nice. Uh, no, I did see an episode of that when I was little. <laughs> yeah, it was not very good. <laughs> um, but That's no. why this reason it was short-lived. But God, airplane I've seen a billion times. Uh, so notably, Kressner takes the cat. Yep. Kind of as a sign of like good luck and victory. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he tells the other couple to go on, have fun. He's going to go back to his penthouse. And again, Kenneth McMillan, I mean, I got to talk about him a little bit. He was in another memorable uh, Stephen King adaptation, Salem's Lot, mm, where yeah. he played the sheriff. He also played Baron Harkonnen in David Lynch's Dune. Ah, ah. Yeah, he's done some really great stuff. So those are like the big ones that you will recognize him from. Awesome. I didn't really like him in that Dune. Well, you're not supposed to. He's Baron Harkonnen. Yeah, but I just didn't... You didn't like the character or the, the way he was portrayed? Uh, he wasn't what I... He, he didn't... It didn't make it from the page to the screen as to what I saw. Shut your whore mouth. It's David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> he could do no wrong. No. Herbert was wrong. <laughs> Herbert was wrong. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Kressner's uh, plan begins to play out, and he has uh, Norris kidnapped and brought to his penthouse. Yep. And during this, too, some other things happen. They take his car, they go and, like, stash it somewhere, and you can see that it's being filled with drugs. Yep. And they, there's a scene with his wife and Norris, and he's, like, putting her on a bus. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I got to go get some money. How are we going to live without money, you know? Yep. And he's trying to get her to safety, because I think he does know how dangerous Kressner oh, yeah. is. Right. But I, and she knows, too. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she thinks that he would hurt her, you know? Um, but yeah, spoiler, she's wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they grab him, they grab, uh, Robert Hayes character, Johnny, Johnny, grabbed by his goons, stuck into his high rise apartment penthouse. And, uh, wonderful view, wonderful view, great view. And they go out onto the balcony Mm -hmm. and Kressner says, you know, he knows what's going on. He knows his wife's been seeing him behind his back. 
and threatens him with the drugs. He says, like, in 10 minutes, they're going to make a call, and they're going to find the drugs in your car. You're never going to go back to tennis ever. You're washed up. You're going to go to prison for, like, 15, 20 years. And he says, but I'll make you a bet. Yep. Very simple. All he has to do is get out on the ledge of the penthouse and walk all the way around completely back to the balcony. And if he does so, he'll divorce um, his wife. Mm Mm-hmm. Let her go free and even give them a bunch of money yep. to live on. And take the drugs out of the car. Well, there is a caveat because I did check and he doesn't say that he let her go free. He said you can have her. You can, yeah. yeah, you can have my wife. Right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. which comes into play. Sure. You can have her. Yeah. Uh, so he Devil's gets out. in the details. Yeah. He gets out on the ledge and it's already. I, I love the. the When he first gets out on the ledge and he steps and Kressner is looking down at him. And he says, you know, it looks really big from up here. And then you step one yeah. foot on it. And he's like, what's it's it like, feel like? Two inches? Yeah, the ledge, is, like, the ledge is five inches. But yeah, is it more like three inches? Yeah. Two? He, he starts kind of... One? <laughs> <laughs> and I love it because immediately Kressner is dogging on him. And he's, he's like, them, he's like, yeah. I think you're just going to get down there. And you're going to be lucky to climb back up onto the balcony and not yeah. go anywhere. Yeah. And he starts moving. Oh, he gives him the finger. Yeah. Kressner grabs his, his finger and starts like shaking it like he's going to throw him off or something. I thought he was going to break his hand, which would have made it even yeah, like more difficult harder. to... And then Kressner's like using his scarf to distract him. I'm just keeping you on your toes. Yeah. You're going to hear that a few times. Well, he tries to start making it around. Mm-hmm. Um, he runs into some hiccups along the way. Um, well, he ends up... I think... Is it the pigeon there's first? There's a pigeon that starts pecking The first thing is that there's a, <laughs> there's a window scene. at the end of like the first side. Yeah. And he's going to try to get into that window. Oh, yeah. And he, I guess he thinks he's going to be clever and somehow... Get it, yeah. But Chucky's there, right? Yep. And they, they throw the window open and they have a horn. And they, they blow right. it in his face and kind of knock him off balance. Yeah. And then they throw the horn off and it falls and... Yeah, it hits the, the ground and just crumples up. And then when he rounds the first corner, we get we get our first like incident, which is that the wind is blowing on that side mm-hmm. of the building. Yep. And so now he has to brace himself against the wind and really like crawl to make it through that. Right. And as he's doing that, that's where this pigeon, this fucking pigeon man. <laughs> Winged around. That pigeon's a right bastard. Oh, the pigeon starts pecking at his feet. It won't move. It won't move. He's it's... drawing blood. Yeah. And it's literally the same spot every yeah, time. Yeah, right there by the ankle. Well, he gets to this little alcove where he can kind of like stand. <laughs> and the pigeon is there. And it's just this hilarious scene where they just pan out. And you just see him kick the pigeon. And yeah. the pigeon just feathers go flying across <laughs> the street. And it's so goofy. Uh, and so he tries to rest in this alcove and kind of recompose his himself yep. and prepare for the rest of the trek around. But Kressner has none of it. Nope. And he uh, ends up putting a fire hose on him. Yeah. Uh, spraying him with water. Open only halfway. And he, yeah. he says that if you don't go, I'll open this all the way and it'll blow you out. So he does. He gets up and, you know, starts moving again. I think the next, like, real cool part is there's, like, a sign mm-hmm. on this level of the building. And he kind of has to climb up onto the sign to get to advance. Yeah. And when he's going through, like, the middle letter, it just becomes unhinged. Yep. And like starts to fall. Sparks are going everywhere. He's hanging on. The tension is crazy at this point. At this part. point, the cat is out on the balcony, too. And mm-hmm. the cat's kind of watching him mm-hmm. while this is happening. I like to think the cat's like rooting for him, you know, coaching him, trying to encourage him Probably. to continue. Well, King has a thing about cats anyway. So. He either loves them or hates them, depending on what he's writing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he eventually makes it off the sign. And 
and back onto the balcony. Amazingly, yeah. Yeah. And we've gone through this really fast. There's not a lot of like dialogue that happens here. It's, but it's yeah, just, the slow, tense kind of. Oh, it's it feels so up. good. Like I love yeah. any kind of things with like a high stakes uh-huh. situation like this. Yeah. But so I, also, I was loving this. I also feel like at any time, if he fell, it wouldn't have been a bad story. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, you know he's not going to fall because right. they're not going to do that. Right. It actually felt like it, if he yeah. fell, it yeah. really wouldn't have mattered. Right. Like, you could have easily just cut back to Kressner, do a couple lines with him and his goons or whatever. Especially with the short anthology, because anything goes. Yeah, right and then now. you just cut back and you're done. Mm-hmm. But he makes it. Yep. And Kressner is none too pleased. But Kressner does live up to his end of the bargain. <laughs> he keeps his word. And he says, I told you you could have the money, and I told you you could have my wife. And he kicks over the bag of money, and his wife's head rolls out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's when he loses it. You know, and uh, problem with Kressner's plan is he didn't really think what was going to happen after this moment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I don't think he expected it. No. I don't think he expected him to make it around. Yeah. Probably not. Right, right. He didn't expect it all to happen. And his goon's there, but Johnny just, you know, he flies into a rage and gets the upper hand. Notably, the gun gets dropped in the exchange. It does. And the cat runs out of the room. Mm-hmm. And Johnny manages to get the gun, shoots the guy. Straight goon, up shoots the guy, yeah. And then turns it on Kressner. Uh-huh. Kressner starts begging immediately. He says, I'll give you anything. He just, you know, one million, two million, three million. He's just like ratcheting it up mm-hmm. higher and higher. Yeah, and it tells him to get him a Swiss bank account, mm-hmm. you know, like and, off. And while he's begging, he's kind of crawling across the floor and stuff. And you see him kind of paid through this penthouse edition, which is the, I think it was 78. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of, it was the one that the story first appeared in. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Amazingly, lovingly little nod that they threw in there. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, now he makes Kressner a bet and basically puts him in the same situation. Yep. Get on the ledge. Walk around. I'll let you live. And, uh, yeah, Kressner doesn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because he does the same, like, dogging that Kressner did to him. Uh-huh. But Kressner just does not have the mental fortitude no, to keep up. he's begging. But, Tell me you're joking. But what's great is the cat actually watches Kressner start to go. And yeah, because he's down on the, on the street level now, mm-hmm. the cat is. And um, he, he rounds that corner. The, <laughs> yeah. the wind kind of blows him, but he, he stays stable. That fucking pigeon. <laughs> that fucking pigeon comes <laughs> by. Starts tapping him. Well, as he falls, there's a really... I'd actually do a good rotoscoping there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some like, rear projection going on or um, something. And they... Like, as he's falling, he's falling for forever. You get the sense of how far he is. And they cut before he hits... But he lands on that fucking horn. Yes. That's just, <laughs> and it ends with that horn beep, and it's just still kind of gives you that levity yeah. of the. Right. right. This film all throughout does a great job of like balancing the tension and terror and the comedy. Yeah. It's extremely entertaining. Especially if you're not, if you don't like really scary horror films. Right. This, this is really good, like entry level. Like, this is a great movie for like a teenager to watch. Yeah. If you're you wanting to get your kid into horror films, this is a good like first yeah. step. I kind of feel like a lot of anthology films are that way. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a like, when what, think, whatever it is, even if it's frightening, like you're not in it. For it's too brief. Long. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just gives you a taste of it mm-hmm. before you're done. And there's like other ones, like Trick or Treat's a little hard to drop on a teen because of there's a lot of language and nudity and yeah. mm-hmm. over erotica. Yeah, that would be too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad I got to throw it in the show notes now. Damn it. <laughs> oh. His account got hacked, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw, Danzig's? Uh, if you guys saw that, but it's just a little note for anybody to go to, 
to Danzig's Twitter and read the last few things he's posted because God oh, that's hilarious. damn. That's hilarious. <laughs> Are you sure it's not just Danzig? He finally uh, lost his mind. I don't know. I, I'm not going to repeat the things he said oh, on boy. the show, but God damn. Okay, it's worth it. I got to look that up. A little external research for you. Yeah. Uh, but now General is going to make it to his destination. And his own story. Yeah, and his own General. story where he's headed to go. Um, and he makes it to this little suburb. Well, he's on a train. Yeah. Like a hobo, you know? <laughs> Just hopping a ride. It's like Depression era. <laughs> Coming to Wilmington, North Carolina. He had his mm-hmm. little, uh, his little stick. Yeah, he's got his little bag on the end of a stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he makes it to North Carolina. Very kind of picturesque. Very nice neighborhood. You know, very upper middle class. Mm-hmm. And then we see this, like, this low POV of something. I already was into this the second it happened because it made me think of Puppet Master. Yeah, I, was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I haven't even seen Puppet Master, but I knew I've seen enough stills from it. Yeah, know. we know it's not the cat. Right. We, we immediately know it's not the cat. We hear this kind of like, kind of low noise, something kind of like giggling or something. Well, and this is where Drew Barrymore is. Amanda. Amanda okay, and yeah. just straight up Drew Barrymore. Oh, yeah. No, no makeup, no wig or anything no. like mm-hmm. that. It's just her. Uh, they're help, she's out helping her dad wash the car, and they're playing around and stuff. And we see the low POV of whatever this thing is go into the house. Mm-hmm. But General's outside, too, and he sees it happen. And he starts running into the house. And then Amanda, Drew Barrymore, does exactly what I would do if this happened and goes, A cat! <laughs> <laughs> yes. And she runs in after it immediately, as I would do. And of course, she wants to keep it. Mm-hmm. And the mother as does Jason not do. as I would do. The mother is not having it. She doesn't want to keep the cat. Mm-hmm. She's worried. Well, her main thing is she's worried that the cat will hurt their pet parakeet, Polly. Yeah, yeah. But Amanda convinces her. That's her name, right? Amanda. Yeah. Okay. I was like, for a second there, the way you all looked at me, like I just completely no, no. two seconds later forgot the girl's name. Uh, and no, it wouldn't work better as a play. <laughs> Actually, it probably would. <laughs> Fuck you. You know, I think Quitters Inc. might. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that might. That could work. That could work. Um, she makes a really good argument. And she's she's like, well, what if we take it to the vet? And the vet says that it's clear. Yeah. Because the mom's like, well, they carry diseases. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, what if the vet says it's clear? And the mom's like, well, shit. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so she gives in, lets her keep, keep general. Yep. Yeah, Amanda names him general. That's where we finally get this name. Mm-hmm. I think in one of the other segments, they give him a different name, but eh, it's irrelevant to, to the scheme of things. Yeah, Crestor calls him Sebastian. Mm-hmm. I forget what the... really general. I forget what the first thing is that General does that kind of pisses off the mom. Or it's not General that does it. Uh, well, the first, well, she won't let him stay in the house at night. Yeah, that's the right. first issue. And Amanda begs to let him stay, you know. And I think she says something about how he keeps the nightmares away or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, she, she drops that's, that in there. Yeah. But she says no and puts him out. And there's a funny, like, is it dinner or breakfast conversation they have where the yes. dad makes a joke about, like, oh, your mom thinks the cat will come and suck your yeah. breath out she, at night. She, her, his wife was talking to her mother. Mm. And, yeah, he says. Her mother's old world. Yeah. yeah. And, and he kind of imitates her accent and says that the cat goes up and creeps on children and takes to breath in the middle of the night. Yeah. Uh, which actually turns into a Stephen King story, a uh, recent one. Oh yeah? oh, yeah? It's in one of his newer anthology books. Okay. Cool. I'm a little behind on this. Yeah, me too. I don't read them. I just, <laughs> he just knows about them. I know about them. My mom's like f- 
crazy Stephen King fanatic. Is she a constant reader? Oh, yeah. Nice. All so the mom, I don't know the mom, what's the mother's name? Do you have it? Ooh. She pissed me off, so I don't mom. care. Yeah. I didn't like her. She didn't like the I cat, so fuck her. I like her, so I just called her Amanda's mom. Okay. Amanda's mom is, of course, pissed off. <laughs> she did not have it going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is where we get our first incident with this creature that night. Yeah, and the mom says that she's she's <laughs> she's telling Amanda she, th- she knows the cat was in her room because her dolls were moved and she found cat hairs on the bed covers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Amanda says that General's nonviolent, <laughs> as we see him catching a bird outside. <laughs> and, uh, Drew Barrymore's great in this because she's doing that thing where she's brushing her teeth and her mom's bugging her about it. Are you getting into the back? You know mm-hmm. that's where all the food goes. And she turns around and just opens her mouth real wide and is like brushing in the back aggressively. <laughs> Such a little kid thing to do. It's mm-hmm. great. I mean, it's what I do when, when my wife is like, get to the back. That's where all the food gets. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> did you deeply connect with Amanda? I did. <laughs> <laughs> However, Piper would always be the one being like, we're keeping this cat. We're going to have a hundred cats. That's right. the one thing we can say is the mom in this film gets it wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this creature thing is so cool. Yeah. It's I don't know. A, it's a, a f- troll, I believe, is what it's supposed to be. It, it is a troll. Um, and it hides in the wall. It's in the wall. And it actually physically opens up the wall like those exaggerated uh, door or mouse holes you see in the cartoons and stuff. Which is notable because at one point when Amanda's watching cartoons, she's watching, uh, is it Tom and Jerry? Tom and Jerry, yeah. yeah. Or is uh, it... No, it's oh. Tom and Jerry. Okay. Because yeah. I think her mom even makes a joke about, or makes a thing about, you saw how Tom is with Jerry... You know, yeah. like saying that there's no way that General will not kill Polly. Uh-huh. And, and incidentally, the mother, we, should, we see them in the bed and the mother's reading Pet Cemetery. Oh, yeah. Another <laughs> shout out. Uh, but yeah, we see the, the patrol comes out of the wall and he looks cool. Looks amazing. He's like a little puppet. Yeah, Carlo Ramboldi did the effects, the creature effects for this. And he's worked on like E.T. and Alien and pretty much everything you ever loved in the 80s. Was it was a lot of it stop motion? There's some scenes that's obviously a little person in a suit. It, it's mostly a little person. I don't think there's any real stop motion. Okay. It's mostly a little person on a big set. Yeah. Mm. And I love that. I the love the big it. yeah, the big objects and stuff. You know, one of the newer puppet masters they tried to do that and it it, it didn't quite track, but uh, you know, it's a puppet master so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Rambaldi also he worked on everything from Bay of Blood to Deep nice. Red, Alien, Possession. Ooh. He designed the creature in possession. E.T., Conan the Destroyer, and Dune. Nice. That's quite the catalog yeah. to have in your portfolio. Okay, did this troll creature remind you guys of anything? Because this is something I think I've had in the back of my head for a while now, and I couldn't remember, but then I watched this and I finally put it together. I'm going to bring up something a little contentious. Uh, the Last Jedi. You know, the caretakers on Akto. Yeah. They look like this troll. I mean, I don't less mean and evil, but it's a very similar sort of design, don't you think? I don't remember because I don't like that movie, but you know, maybe mm. I could see where you're at with it. Go back and look at like some stills and stuff. I can see where you're at with it, maybe. Yeah. I mean, put one of the caretakers in like a jester hat <laughs> and give her a little knife. I don't think she'd be very happy about that. She's already not happy with everything that's happening. <laughs> so anyway, I think when I saw that, I thought that reminds me of something that creature design, hmm. and I think I was thinking of this troll. Um, but the troll's obviously wanting to get at Amanda, but it knows the cat's a problem. The cat seems to be aware of it. And so this first night, it's trying to basically get the cat out of the picture. So it decides to sneak and go kill the parakeet. Yep. Kills poor Polly. 
to uh, to frame the cat. Mm-hmm. But General is trying to stop it. Well, General, yeah, he comes into the window, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. No. General ends up getting a little tiny little troll dagger right mm-hmm. into his side. Well, because after the troll kills the parakeet, that's where it gets up on Amanda while she's sleeping, and it starts to actually try to draw her breath out. Uh huh. Which is funny because we already have the story about the cat as like a setup for that. Yeah. And right when he begins to do it, that's when General gets up there. Right. And they get in a little scuffle, and yeah, General gets cut by this little little troll dagger. Yeah, it's like a short sword to the troll, but it's like a little tiny dagger. It's my favorite. What I love is that it looks it looks very real, like mm-hmm. when when they're in the scene with the troll. But then later, you see the miniature. Well, yeah, yeah, the miniature <laughs> version of it that the dad picks up doesn't actually look like it's, it's like big a toy to for an action anything. figure or something. Um, yeah, but the troll wounds General and flees because at this point the parents are waking up. So they storm into the room, and all they find is the cat's there, the birdcage is turned over, and the bird is dead. And Amanda's upset that Polly is dead. Mm-hmm. So already now the mom is, Amanda's mom is like, we're getting rid of the cat. I told you this would happen. And Amanda says, no, it wasn't Polly, it was the monster. So the next it day... It wasn't General, it was the monster. Yeah. The next day, um, as she's trying to catch the cat, to wrangle the cat, to like take it outside or whatever, um, the dad ends up picking up general and mm-hmm. noticing that there's like a big gash yeah, on his right. side. He's like, what happened here? Yeah, he says, he tells the cat, I would scram if I were you. Yeah. <laughs> he even says like, look, I've been trying to help you. Yeah. You've outworn your welcome. Um, but he questions it to the mother. Yeah. Cause he says, you know, I don't, I don't see how the bird could have done yeah, that. She's like, Polly got him one good peck before he died. Good for him. <laughs> and he says, well, I didn't know Polly had such a big pecker. <laughs> <laughs> That, I will say the most relatable thing is the look that she gives him. Yeah. The look you see often, I have right? seen that. I see that look on the daily <laughs> for some shitty-ass joke that I've made, and my wife just stares at me like that. It's like, like, eh? it's like patient disappointment. <laughs> you know, but I'm always... Every time Piper's disappointed, I'm like, why is your bar so high? <laughs> like, I've done nothing to set you, yeah, this bar high You should know all. better by now. I, you know it, what's going to come out of my mouth is going to be some stupid-ass shit. But so Amanda's at school. The dad goes to work. And the mother earns our ire. She, she rounds up General and takes him off to the animal shelter. She tricks him yeah. with tuna. There's that scene where he's looking in. Man, he wants that tuna, but he doesn't trust her. He won't go in. She starts <laughs> shutting the door a little bit. He does it because cats you know, listen to her stomach. And yeah, she picks him up and takes him to the shelter. Oh my God. She goes to the shelter and there's like these, you know, gates and bars and stuff everywhere. And you see a chimney with smoke billowing out. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like Auschwitz. It's like the Auschwitz is what she's taking how, him to. How long have you been waiting to do that joke? Oh, a couple of days at least. Wow. Did you come up with that and you were like, I can't. The Auschwitz, yes. <laughs> I was not going to let that sit there. I had to use it. I got to quit uh. this podcast, man. Good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she takes him to this cat concentration camp. It is a sad scene, though. When It, it really is. Yeah, you see all, all the little animals. They're so and, cute. Um. I would say also, you know, shout out to our local shelter, which is a no-kill shelter. Yes. Madison County Humane Society. Boom, I'm going to put them in the show notes. Well, I got two of my cats. Oh, they're not the shelter, though. Oh, no? No, we have a pound that is a oh. kill shelter. Well, fuck. Well, but, they're two different things. But the two Madison County Humane Society picks from the pound to keep them from getting killed. So still yes, shout awesome. out to them. That's where I got two of mine. But yeah, no, we do have a pound. Bummer. That's a 
horrible, horrible place. Thumbs me out. Those shouldn't exist. There should, yeah. should just be no kill. Yeah, I know. Agreed. Vote. That's all I'm going to say. Vote. <laughs> uh, anyway. There's your politics. For the <laughs> yeah, so General's about to be terminated. It's his last day that he's there. And it's weird because it's like they almost casually just pick them at random. Yeah. To be the ones to die. But General, he's smart, right? Because he's just laying there like, oh, I'm just not giving up. I'm just a docile cat. And when the dude opens up the cage to feed him, bam, he jumps out. Because he and knows he's got to save him in. That's right. He has a higher calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that night, as General's escaping, the troll comes out again. And this time it's being clever. Yeah, he's got this big door. St- well, to him, it's big. Door stop, <laughs> pushes it up to the door. Um, and I love how he's running around. He's all excited. Yeah, he's it's, like hopping it's and kind bouncing. Of cute. It's almost endearing. <laughs> he's so happy with himself. And you know, there is an <laughs> interesting scene before the night begins where uh, it's when the mom's home and she's like cleaning up the house and she finds one of the bells. That's right. Off the troll's jester hat. Yeah, and puts it in a jar of marble, marbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's kind of like, where did, where did this come yeah, from? Yeah, where did this bell come from? Well, the, the troll is now, with General out of the picture, the troll is really starting to get down to business. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's starting to draw him, up some, clothes. draw him some soul. Mm-hmm. And I love the little puppet hand that yeah. they use for her nose, the hold her nose. Mm-hmm. It looks really good. I love how they like frame it, too. That's like it holds her nose mm-hmm. just long enough to make her like, oh, gasp a little bit. Yeah, and there's some compositing going on. He's obviously in front of, you know, he's matted in to a big image of Drew Barrymore and stuff. He was just checking for sleep apnea. <laughs> yeah, when I did that, there wasn't a troll. Um, yeah, but this time he actually gets far enough along in this process. Amanda starts to cough. Yeah, and you see her breath coming out. Mm, clearly starting to feel bad from this. <laughs> and General's trying to find a way in. And eventually he comes down the chimney. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the parents wake up and they actually come to check on her. Yeah. But then they can't get through the door. Right. So they're they're banging and trying to get in and wonder what's going on. Yeah, because the cat is up on the bed fighting the troll and Drew Barrymore is trying to get her breath back. And then finally she does and she's yelling for help. And yeah, mm-hmm. they come in and they're, they're banging on the door trying to get in. The way General comes in through the chimney, though, is so great. Like when he drops in, the camera's framed on him. He's like, surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> 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 James, bitch! <laughs> Don't you think the idea of this like small creature fighting a cat that's an actual cat that's being filmed, you think it's going to look bad or be kind of weird, but it's actually shot it really good. well. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really well done. I, I think it's a testament to when a filmmaker knows how to use force perspective, mm-hmm. the right... like They know how to composite everything. Yeah, the right balance of using all the tools in your toolbox and not just like... Well, we're just going to do this one thing. It's yeah. like, no, we have all these different ways that have been shown mm-hmm. to do cool special effects. Let's just use them. Yeah. Yep. I don't I don't think they're that expensive. I don't know how. I mean. No, this is a pretty low budget movie for the yeah. most part. Yeah. Um, and the troll's trying to get away from the cat, right? Which this is my favorite scene of the whole thing. Because there's like <laughs> troll acrobatics happening. Yeah. yeah, he's like flipping around. He flips over and falls into that jar with all the marbles and stuff in it. The cat's trying to reach down in there and get Yeah, him. he's stabbing at it at the cat. Uh, it knocks over, he flies out, and then the troll like jumps on these balloons, the helium balloons that are floating around. And he thinks he can escape that way. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in it is like a total platforming video game. Yeah. Yeah. You can just see, like, you have to bounce on the balloons and jump off. Yeah. And then the whole time you've got Drew Barrymore, just, oh, get him, Yeah, girl, get him, get him. And the cat's jumping up and swiping at the troll, and the troll lands on the record player. <laughs> and so General turns it on. <laughs> and it's, of course, that every cover breath you take. of yeah. Yeah, Every Breath You Take. Which, again, lyrically, 
Kind of, kind of little, yeah. kind of yep. relevant. Exactly. And I love this part because Amanda says, "Make it go faster." And the cat <laughs> understands. The cat knows. The cat's like, fick, fick, fick. <laughs> "I got you, sister." And increases the speed, and the trail starts spinning around, and she's like, "Faster!" And goes really fast, and then he flies off and hits a fan and explodes into a box fan. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, at this point now, parents are able to break in into the room and they see the carnage. Yeah. And they immediately, but they immediately think it's general. Mm-hmm. Um, that's done all this, but then they see... I love how Drew Paramore is holding the cat and running away from her mom. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, no, no, it's the monster. It's right over there. Yeah, she tells him what happens. Then you see, and that's when the the dad picks up the tiny little... (laughs) Yeah, you see like a severed arm down there. There's like bloody clothing. It's funny too, because when you see the troll with the dagger, it's like this curved blade. Yeah. And then it's just this little straight short dagger. I think it's a little wavy, but you can't really tell because it's it's so small. Funny. And then um, they realize, oh, okay, there was something here. Yep, and they still see the hole because it never got to close it yeah, up. Yeah, she says that's where it came from. And they're like, uh, we can't tell anybody about this. So mm-hmm. don't tell anyone about this at school. And so she blackmails them and says, well, if I can keep general in it, I, <laughs> I won't tell anybody. And didn't she even say, like, is this blackmail? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she just smiles, yep. And the next, and it's a hard cut to general eating a fish. Like there's like the skeleton of like a cartoon fish almost. Yeah. It's like the head's intact, but it's like a skeleton. Then he's picking at it. And then it gets a little spooky. I like this as the final like little tease yeah. to all of this. It kind of plays a little bit of sort of spooky music, and you see general go up the steps. He goes into the parents' room, hops up on the bed, and Amanda's sleeping in between them, and he kind of slowly walks up onto. Amanda, and even when I saw this when I was a kid, I was thinking, no, no, don't, no. <laughs> but then he just leans forward and starts licking her face. She wakes up and she hugs him. Yeah. Sweet, so sweet, sweet little ending. Yeah, it's great. Da-da. Yeah. So and that's a great movie. Eye. And it's just a fun movie. Three cat's tales eye. reflected in the cat's eye. Ah, very nice. Alan, you've been holding on to that one. <laughs> oh, uh, since we decided we were going to shoot in this episode. <laughs> I got nothing here. Jason's got Meowschwitz. You've got... I got bits. <laughs> yeah. uh, you guys got any fun notes about this one? I got a bunch. I got a few. I got a few. Okay. Uh, we can go back and forth if you want. Okay. Why don't you start? You do something. So here's an interesting one. Apparently this film had a prologue that more cleanly explained what the cat's motivations were. Mm-hmm. And um, Teague wanted to keep it in. And the studio thought it was too goofy or too silly. And so they just cut it out. Yeah, completely. And I don't know what the prologue entailed, but I think that was the right call. Because th- we understand what's happening. We see yeah. the cat. We and- don't need the cat's agenda. <laughs> Everywhere I was looking said, like, this made some people be confused. I don't think it's that confusing. I was a kid and I wasn't uh, confused. Well, except by the fact that I really thought it was supposed smart. to be one big movie and not right. just an anthology. So I was confused about that, but not about the cat's <laughs> motivations. I understood that. Um, yes. Also... Uh, Sometimes They Come Back was supposed to be a segment in this. Interesting. Yep. But producer Dilo De Laurentiis, another Dune connection, um, said, no, I think that should be its own movie. So they chose The Ledge instead. And I think that was the right call. And eventually they did make Sometimes They Come Back in 91. Very mediocre made-for-TV movie. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Um, but I don't think that Sometimes They Come Back would have worked. Because one, I think it needs a little more room to breathe. Yeah. And two... It's I, a meteor story in yeah. general. And two, I think that the first two stories not being supernatural is cool because then you get to one that is supernatural and you're not maybe expecting it. You know? Yeah. 
the main producer on this was Milton Sabotsky. And this was the first of several Stephen King-related projects that he worked on. Uh, he was also involved in Maximum Overdrive, Sometimes They Come Back, uh, Lawnmower Man, and mm. unfortunately, Sometimes They Come Back Again. So bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> you have to say this, though, about for if a King property comes up, it's going to make money. Yeah. It just does. Like, even if it's shit, it's going to make yeah. money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always famously talk about this. The first date that Tiffany and I went on before we started dating was to go see Dreamcatcher in the theaters <laughs> in high school. And the movie was so bad, I didn't ask her out that night. And then we talked about it the next day, and she's like, well, I, I kind of thought you were going to ask me out. And, and you were thinking, I was like, that I, movie was so bad. I was like, I couldn't do it. Just, <laughs> you don't want to be associated with that movie. It I, tarnished you. I was like, I knew you'd say no. The movie was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. And that's when she knew you were a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of De Laurentiis, um, buh, 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 he also was involved in Firestarter in 84, and that was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. So that's another interesting connection between those films. There you go. And uh, uh, The Troll was nope. voiced by Frank Megatron Wilker. Yes. Cool. And you could hear a little bit of Slimer in that, too. Yeah, because he also did Slimer. Yeah. He's done so many He did voices. everything. Yeah. Scooby-Doo, everything. Um, Kressner, at one point when he's talking about their uh, bet, he says, if you win, you'll get the girl, the gold watch, and everything. And that's a reference to the girl, the gold watch, and everything from 1980, which starred Robert Hayes. Yep. Yep. Which I've never seen or heard of. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Frank Welker, the balloons in Amanda's room, one of those is a Muppet Babies balloon, and Welker did voice work on that show. Yep. Sure did. Did a voice work in every show. <laughs> and Teague also did, like we mentioned Cujo, mm-hmm. but he also did another really great creature feature. A foreshadowing there. Um, that I'm going to make you watch. Oh, okay. Dustin. Pointing I'm, pointing, I'm pointing at Dustin because he does not like creature attack movies. Depends. He, he directed Alligator from 1980. Okay, I've never seen that. It's great. I love that movie. It has a totally kick-ass poster too. Yeah, it does. Um, and he went on to direct Jewel of the Nile, which was a big hit. That was, yeah. And also, film. ooh, Navy Seals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we didn't talk much about going through the score, but it's composed by Alan Silvestri. Yeah. World-class composer right there. Mm-hmm. You're going to know him from stuff like Back to the Future, all kinds of bigger movies. Which he was composing while he was writing this. I think you can tell there's some similarities between the synth work in this and Back to the Future. This is like the demo for yeah. Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> but man, it's a good score. I love like the driving like synth beats yeah. that are going on. And there's this one specific song that's like basically General's theme that it plays time and again. Mm-hmm. And it's this very hokey, like, da-da-da-da, like yeah. uplifting thing. Yeah, it's like adventure music, which is close to the Back to the Future. It's so music. good. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else we got going on. Um, I don't think I have any more notes myself. Uh, none on that. This was a mainstay of television in the 80s, I'll tell you that. It was always on, like, TBS or USA or something. Mm-mm. Oh, cinematographer was Jack Cardiff. He also worked on 1948's The Red Shoes, which I love that film. Oh, I've never seen that one. Great one. It's in the Criterion Collection, so mm. you know it's good. That uh, must be good. It's Criterion. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found notes where it said this was the only horror film that Silvestri scored, but some of his catalog, I was like, well, there's borderline stuff. He's worked on the, the first two Predators. 
Mm-hmm. That's, I guess that's more sci-fi, but I consider them horror. There's horror elements there. Um, and he worked on uh, Death Becomes Her, which that's definitely more of a comedy, but it's got those horror mm-hmm. tones to it. It's and, basically um, a Tales from the Crypt movie without the Tales from the Crypt logo. He, he worked on one of Jason's favorite movies, A Love Letter to the Universal Monsters, Van Helsing. <sighs> <laughs> Anyways, modern day, you're going to know him for... He actually worked a lot on the Avengers films. Yeah. I think it, he scored the first one, and some of the later ones, he didn't do the actual music, but he like wrote out... His theme, yeah. the Avengers theme, which, whether you like the MCU or not, I think that theme is a classic yeah, film it's, it's theme. Good, like It's just so memorable. It's a good superhero theme, yeah. And it plays through... All of the films, oh, I yeah. think it's it's well done. Sylvester definitely has so iconic. I think he's one of the greats, mm-hmm. you know, like that that puts his own spin on something that you can hear something and you're like, oh, that's Sylvester. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about this because I always try to look at like opinions that are out there about these films. Uh, Gene Siskel was very critical of the second segment, <sighs> uh, The Ledge. Uh, he considered it very weak and said it was a major downturn in the anthology. And kind of lowered it from the overall package. Hard disagree. Yeah, I hard disagree because a lot of people, when I looked at like impressions on Letterbox and stuff, the ledge is kind of the one they focus on as like the weakest. And I can see how the other two do have like more exciting things about them, but I think you can't undersell like the tension yeah, in the ledge, right? And just how good it is. And it's not as good as the other two, but it's still really good. Mm-hmm. And this movie does what a lot of anthologies have problems with. I mean, sure, it's only got three stories, but every one is good. You know, there's not a weak yeah. link, mm-hmm. you know? Agreed. Most anthologies have at least one throwaway. Like, The Twilight Zone has, like, two throwaways, in my <laughs> opinion. Uh, so, Creep Show. I mean, I love Creep Show, but there's one or two segments. I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah. So. Even uh, Trick or Treat, which is my favorite, has a segment that's not... I don't really like that much. What? Which one? The one where they go in the quarry. Really? See, I, see a lot of I people, like that one a lot. I like it, but I, I do see that come up it's a lot. My, it kinda, really, yeah. I don't dislike it. I still love the movie, and I watch it every year. It's also but, integral to the movie, because that's where we hear the story about the bus and all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> I like that sequence. Okay. I know, but it's it's my least favorite of all of the all of the, okay. all of them in there. Fair enough. So I thought just as a little bonus before we do our final thoughts on this film, mm-hmm. let's do some general King talk. Real all quick. right. So do you guys have a favorite King exposure? Stephen King story. No, there's already um, a, plenty of podcasts to do that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great Stephen King-focused podcasts you can go find. You can do that uh, all the time, 24-7. Uh, I do. My favorite um, my favorite work of his is probably Pet Cemetery. Okay, cool. Because it is creepy as hell. Mm. And when I read it in the 80s, it really scared me. I think it's, I think it's probably his most truly like straight-up horrifying story. Well, let me just tag in here, too, because that's also the one that I wrote down. Nice. I think it's just so... It's the emotions in that story that's, like, really what kills it for me is, like, it's so emotionally devastating. Mm-hmm. And I can remember growing up and kind of the fear of, like, realizing the about the idea of death and, yeah. like, oh, my parents are going to die. Uh, my relatives are going to die. Everyone's going to die. And in that story, you see the daughter go through that, mm-hmm. through her eyes and have to come to terms with that and then you've got this bigger horror narrative that's going on that on a large like scary movie scale is like teaching you that same principle and how like the the whole crux of all of that is that the father can't reason with death even mm-hmm. though he wants to reassure his daughter he himself can't either yep. and that sets up all the tragedy that comes exactly so. 
I have major fears of that with myself and my son. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I don't do well with death at all. It's such a powerful like concept to be afraid of, and then that story explores it so well. And then, like, how do you like model good behavior and teach your children like healthy mm-hmm. thoughts about death when you yourself are like not so good with it? It's like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Pet Cemetery was reinforced by the the great movie. I think oh, that yeah. Mary you Lambert don't want to go down really there. Good. I quite yeah. love the movie. Yeah, Zelda still creeps me out. Jesus. So, do you guys, speaking of movies, have a favorite? Oh, Stephen? did you? Did you I, have story. Jesus, yeah, what's your Christ, story? Dustin. I assumed it was Pet Cemetery, and you were done. Oh no, it's not. It's okay. the Mist. The Mist. Okay. Nice. I, I'm actually more of a fan. I I don't particularly like Stephen King's uh, novel forms as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy his short stories more. I think that's where he shines the best. I think he's. I would better agree. As a generally, yeah. Um, it's not that I dislike them, but if I had a choice, mm-hmm. I think that his and Matheson's the same way, you know. Oh, like, Matheson's the master of a short story. When and a short story is hard to pull off, so I think that that's something that gets brushed over with King. Is that a short story is really hard to do and do well, and King does them really, oh, yeah. really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Night Shift or Skeleton Crew. If you get yeah. either of those, you've got a ton of great. Short and stories. while I love mm-hmm. um, the short story of the Mist, I still think the film of the Mist. Um, Darabont took that even a step further oh, and, yeah. and he, yeah. he expanded it and made it better. Even so. King said, I wish I had thought of that ending for mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, now, speaking of films, is there an adaptation of one of King's stories that you particularly love the most? We'll start with Michael this time. Um, even if I say The Mist, which is... I'm going to stick with The Mist. Okay. Yeah, I know. That's, that's fair. Kind of, that's, that's, it's perfect. It feels fair. like a cop-out, but God, that movie is perfect for me. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good answer. Uh, Jason, oof. you got one? Can I have three? We'll just rattle, rattle, <laughs> rattle through them. Let's, well, yeah. number one is the one that would piss him off the most, piss off Stephen King the most, which is The Shining. Oh, I love The Shining. Because it's a brilliant movie, and I think it's a mediocre book. I'm sorry. I don't think it's that good of a book. I'm going to give you guys my controversial thought about this. I uh-huh. think certain adaptations of King's stuff, he gets like stuck on, and it's because like he sees himself as one of those characters. Yeah. Like to him, he is Jack Torrance, and so he wants the book thing where it's like they go through that, but he comes out the other end, and then you go to the film, and it's just this very nihilistic take. Yeah. Of like there is no hope for that character. Yeah, Jack's were, already crazy. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I think that's why I didn't choose The Shining, though, because as much as I love The Shining, I almost don't view that as a King book anymore, mm. just because The Shining film is so different. Well, I think Kubrick saw the magic that was there yeah. and like drew it out yeah. for the film. Right. And if you want to compare that with the TV movie version of The Shining, oh. well, there's no comparison. I don't care how faithful that TV movie version is. It's a steaming turd. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, also on my list is aforementioned Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. and I would put Misery on there too. Oh, Misery, because that's my yeah. second favorite novel of his. Hmm. And the, the, although oddly enough, when I heard they were making the movie of Misery, the person I cast in my head was James Woods hmm. for the part of the writer. That could have worked. I love James Con, but James Woods would have just oh man, can you imagine how much more intense that would have been? Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, but it's a great movie. Okay, so I've got two I wanted to share. Okay. One's kind of poorly timed, so I brought a second one. But the first one is um, Secret Window Man. And I know that's not a good one to talk about now because it's just a story about Johnny Depp, you know, crafting this crazy split personality to justify killing his cheating wife. But whoops, maybe poorly timed for right now. But um, the execution of that one is so much fun. And I remember in high school I was obsessed with this movie. 
And I think it was one of my friends got it on DVD and I borrowed it. And like every day I would come home from school, watch Secret Window, then go about my life. And that was just like wow. every, just, the aesthetics and everything about it. I just, it really stuck with me. Interesting. Um, the other one is Riding the Bullet, which is based on a short story of his. And it was directed by Mick Garris. Yeah. I think it overlooked a lot because it really doesn't come up too often. Uh, but it's just this great, like, real simple story about a dude having... It's Again, it's that same thing as Pet Cemetery, having to come to terms with the idea of, like, death. It's this college student, and he's kind of just, like, living his life. He's struggling with depression. And then he hears that his mother's ill and is going to pass away. And he decides to hitchhike back home to try to get there to have, like, a final moment with her. And along the way, as he's hitchhiking, each time he's picked up by a ghost. Hmm. And kind of, like, learns the story about, like, what's up with them... And is like tormented by them as he's trying to make it back home. Interesting. And it gets into a lot of those same themes as Pet Cemetery about like, you know, the death of a loved one and coming to terms with that and understanding it and then tackling fear and stuff like that. Are one of the ghosts that pick him up large Marge? No. No. Well, that's Unfortunately, no. <laughs> that's too bad. I do think there's been a cool resurgence too of uh, newer directors taking on some of King's like. More obscure work, like so. I thought Gerald's game was great. Gerald's game yeah. was very good. Um, and then, uh, oh, was that that was at nineteen twenty two. Yeah, I hadn't watched that one yet with uh, Thomas Jane. Yeah, he just wants his kids back. He but, wants his kids back. <laughs> uh, no, it's actually really solid. Is it really really cool? good? Um, so I really like that. And and King is notorious for having like his dollar sales. Oh yeah, we should talk about that. The dollar baby. I think that's so cool. Like that is what I wish would happen more. What is it? I'm not familiar with uh, this. Dollar Baby. So you can be any kind of filmmaker, like independent, just got a camera, want to make a movie, you're a a film school student, whatever. You can write to him, you can send him a dollar and option one of his short stories to make into a film. Yeah, that's awesome. I think if he likes it, right? Like if he likes your pitch or whatever. um, That is just... That's that's him championing arts Mm -hmm. and saying like, you can use my... Because obviously if you use my name you're automatically going to get an audience. Right. So take it for a dollar. I'd buy that for a dollar <laughs> and and make it. Some of the best adaptations of his short stories were like u- uber low budget. Like you've ever seen the original short story of Children of the Corn? It's creepy. Oh, yeah. It's like legit creepy. Well, one that I'm really wishing would get adapted. Didn't get Lynch do one? Adapted I is uh, The Long Walk. I yeah. If you get, like, that, that won't happen. No. <laughs> Unl- unless they age up the characters dramatically. It, it would be like, they're not going to make rage. I mean, they're not going to do the but, long walk either. But also the long walk would, yeah, definitely right now it won't happen. But also it's too real life. So yeah. um, that would be amazing. Though. Well, speaking of that, and this might be your answer for this. Here's my final little fun thing. Let's build our own Stephen King anthology. Do you have a story of his that's never had a film adaptation that you would like to see get one hey. done? I don't think I could pull you no. multiples. I can give you the long walk. Well, just I give me one. Yeah, long each, walk would be my, each my pick choice. One. This had an adaptation, but I don't think it was done particularly well. But it's one that always stuck with me. Uh, the Boogeyman. Okay, cool. It's a very creepy short story. And I think done right, it could be really... Like if Mike Flanagan did it... Mm-hmm. He's quite dominated the Stephen King he's the new, area. He's right like now. the new Mick Garris. Yeah, you know, 
Uh, uh, there's only one Mick Garris. <clears throat> there's only one Mick Garris. <laughs> He's the new torchbearer for Stephen King adaptations. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, and Midnight Mass is probably like the best Stephen King movie that's not based on Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. God, so, good. Uh, so I had two, and they're actually both from the same collection, The Bizarre of Bad Dreams. I read that a year or two ago and quite liked it. Uh, but two stories in that. One, Mile 81. It's about a killer alien that comes down from space and hides as a station wagon. And it just like sits at this abandoned rest stop off a highway. And kind of by happenstance, people will pull off there and it lures them to go investigate it. And then it like draws them inside and eats them and kills them. Hmm. I'd watch the shit out of that. Very simple premise, but it could be super fun. And you could do like... It's like a mimic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could do some like cool effects, I think, to make it really interesting. Hmm. And it's just like this ongoing chain of like each person's story as they roll up on that uh, yeah. rest stop and find the car. I'd watch that. It's been optioned for a film... I think they announced it in 2019, but it's been like no news at all since then. And probably COVID like yeah. buried that. Well, how many movies get announced mm-hmm. never get made? And then also from that same collection is Bad Little Kid. And that's this great story about this guy who he's on death row and he's slated to die. And it's because he's a child murderer. And this woman comes in to kind of get his story for like a you know true crime thing, whatever, before he's killed off. And he chronicles his life. And as he's growing up and at all these different times in his, his life and progression... He's had this encounter with this little boy that's like completely evil. And every time he shows up, this terrible misfortune will happen and someone close to him dies. Hmm. And he eventually begins to believe that this boy is like some malevolent force and it's like the cause of it. And so eventually when he becomes an adult, he is like devoted his life to trying to stop this thing. And so he gets this weird reputation where he's kind of like he's in all these like church groups and like doing youth stuff. And everyone's kind of like, oh, he's a little... Uh, too into the kids mm-hmm. but it's all just so he can like watch for this one kid to try to stop him and it it blows up into this terrible incident where he kills the kid and to him he kind of expects like you know it's going to be a monster or something sure. but when it's done it is just a kid uh-huh. and you're left wondering like was it even real was it even with? real yeah. or is he crazy or is this like the final just like nail in the coffin on it on, on this force was to like just screw him for good yeah huh, that's cool I like that so, final thoughts on Cat's Eye. Hey, uh, you guys go. It's my pick. Michael. Um, I'm going to sit on a solid four. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I loved that each segment was powerful enough on its own mm-hmm. that I didn't feel... I'm I'm with a lot of people, and the second segment is not my favorite mm-hmm. of the three, but I don't think it's bad Mm-mm. right at all. Not it's, by any means. It's not even remotely like we had with uh, Dead of Night, where that one segment was just like Jesus. Well, the golfers, <laughs> yeah. Why the fuck is this here? <laughs> um, which and and I can think of a lot of other anthology films that have that one segment that I'm like, why mm-hmm. the fuck is this? They almost here? all do. There's always at least one throw. Like as much as I like Mortuary Collection, there's a couple. Yeah, in there there's a that couple I'm like, that are like damn, whatever. Like just move on. Like the bathroom thing. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, okay. I don't know. All right. Um, no, but I think it's a solid four. Every the actors involved are really great. It's very competently shot, and I I do like the idea of like a, a Stephen King CU kind of a thing, you know, like <laughs> where it's all connected. And I'm sure that that's like also the Dark Tower. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. We're not referencing the Dark Tower. I only like one of those books. Um, First three are pretty good. Oh, that was a question I was going to toss in there. Is have you guys read the Dark Tower series, and what are your feelings on it? Um, I've never approached them. I've only read the first three. Okay. I uh, enjoyed the first three. The first one's a classic. I love the first one. Second one's really good. 
Third one's fine, but it ends on a cliffhanger, which is really annoying because mm-hmm. the new one didn't come out until like 20 years later or something. All right, George R. R. Martin. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the one that follow, followed that was Wizard and Glass, which is straight up one of the worst books I have ever read in my <laughs> oh, life. A lot of people. I swear to God, it of, is horrible. That's why I stopped because Jason hated it so much. I got I through like, it and I'm like, God, at least that's that. over. I've never started them and I've always been afraid to because I don't know that I want this like uber multiverse yeah crossover i like i, I, I like, like the idea yeah. that like salem's lot is here and you could drive over there and it's like another city from one of his stories i'm sure. cool on that or like flag pops up here and there yeah in oh shit shit fuck hold on okay movie that hasn't been done fucking talisman okay i think that's been optioned i think that's but it hasn't been done it hasn't yet, been right? done yet no fucking cool. talisman man. nice cool. sorry okay i'm on for right. that yeah. talisman's fucking badass and then I tried reading Wolves of Kala, the follow-up to Wizarding Glass. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. I made it like maybe a chapter. I'm, like, I'm done. <laughs> I thought I'm of out. Talisman because there's a big connection. Talisman's like super big connected to Dark Tower. Oh, yeah. okay. But I do want to say there are tons and tons of like die-hard Dark Tower series fans. Oh, yeah. I am not knocking that. Me either. If you, you dig do, it, well, cool. You, if yeah, you love like what you it. Love. These, are, mo- these like are our it, opinions. Fucking tattoo it all over you because I do know I have friends that have Dark Tower tattoo is like, I'm happy that you love something. Sure. Like, yeah. just fucking go for it. So please don't take me oh, yeah. saying that as a knock to it, because it's not. It right. just was not my thing. It's I, okay if you enjoy the worst book ever written. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer, I just prefer a different king. Oh, yeah. That's just what I prefer. Yeah. And that's a testament to his talent that he's done so much. Yeah. That there is that range. Mm-hmm. Wait till he does YA. <laughs> I think he needs to go back on Coke. <laughs> Dustin was like... Fuck you. Didn't he do YA stuff? I don't know. I don't know. My final thoughts. I'm right there with you, Michael. I'm four stars all the way. I love this film. Amazing music. Amazing cinematography. All three of us love our furry friends, and we're big champions of cats, so I think it's amazing to see this film led by a cat, and it is so emotive and does so many cool stunts and has so many cool scenes in it. Um, I loved every story. I didn't think there was a single one that you could drop or that's filler or a little lesser. I loved The Ledge. I thought that one had so much great tension to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, love the score. Sylvester, it's amazing. It is a demo for Back to the Future, kind of, yeah. but... But it works. It works, and it's so good, and it fits. And, um, yeah, I just really loved it. And I didn't, at first, come into this, I was thinking, like, I can't give this a four, because I gave Dead of Night a four. But I think they're both fours in, like, different ways, mm-hmm. to yeah, be yeah. in a sense. Like, yeah. Dead of Night, it's such a classic, but it just has a few little flaws to it. And then this one, it's really just, it's so much fun. And it, especially if you like King at all, it has all these little references and nods to his other stuff. Yep. And it's such a love letter to like his storytelling and the worlds that he creates. Yep. So I loved it. Awesome. I'm so glad you guys liked it. And Jason, bring us home. All right. Uh, well, obviously I picked it, so I dig it a lot. Um, but rewatching it, it, it holds up. Mm-hmm. It's so entertaining. It's just a fun movie. There's some comedy. There's some scares. There's some adventure. You know, it's got a little bit of everything. No boobs. There's no boobs. It's PG-13. It's PG-13. And that's okay. Not every movie boob. has You can get one boobs. boob in on PG-13. Okay, it's got a lot of cute ladies in it, though, because Cindy, uh, James Wood's wife in the first one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Keep going. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, every story works. There's not a weak link in there. All the actors are great. James Woods is one of his best performances, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Troll, I love the Troll. I love the design. I love how they did it with all the big sets and everything. And I love, love, love that this is a movie that celebrates a cat 
that the mm-hmm. cat is the hero. Because almost always in the movies, the, the cat's the bad guy. You, know, you get like the uncanny with Peter Cushing, which is all about killer cats. Or the uncanny. Or the, the terrible film about the mutant cat. Right. Yeah, right. Um, and like, of course, in folklore, the cat's always evil, blah, blah, blah. So uh, it's so refreshing to see mm-hmm. this cat portrayed as the hero. And it captures that... It's it is the perfect introduction for a younger person. I mm-hmm. think even now, I think because I think the effects still hold up for the most part. Oh yeah, when I watched this for the episode, uh, Tiffany set out on it. Cause she was like, eh, I don't know. And when I finished it, I went back and I was like, No, no, no! You need to watch this one. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. What did she think? Uh, she hasn't watched it yet. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> She's like, Yeah, yeah, whatever. But it's it swinging a miss. But I tried. It has, yeah, it has like some genuine scares and it's got that childlike innocence too. Just celebration of one of your furry best friends, you know? And it never feels like the, the, the more childlike portion of it never feels like overwhelming or eh. Cause some of the ones you've brought Jason, no offense. I get into them. Then I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> oh my God. What's going on? But this one, like, man, it plays great. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so happy you guys. What's your get- star? Oh, I give it four stars too. Nice. That's my, I don't, I don't, it's almost five. There's something keeping it from being a five. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Probably because it doesn't reach those same, it doesn't like tread new ground like Dead of Night did or something. Like I don't know, I'd never like top 10 it or something. Right. But what it does, it does perfectly. Mm. It's a great popcorn flick. It's fun. I've seen it probably 10 times in my life and I haven't gotten tired of it. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So we've got our last. Last anthology. Anthology film. Wrap it up, Dustin. What's it going to be? I am going to break up our horror chain here. Okay. Jump us to a different genre. Take us back to an old, familiar format we haven't visited in about a year. Yeah? It's time to go back to anime again, I think. All right. Uh, Yeah. uh, Famously, uh, Promare last year. Technically our worst received episode we did. (laughs) Um, By by no grace of our fault, more so just as um, the old old anime fandom's pretty pretty tough crowd. Uh Uh-huh. Um, but I love anime and we got to keep going back to it now and again, sparingly when it, when it makes sense, when sure. it fits. And there is a few great anthology films that are anime and one in particular, this is finally my time, Jason, that I'm going to bring one from, from the childhood. It's oh. very, very meaningful to me. Is it cool devices? No, it's not. <laughs> that, is, that is a good one though. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to be checking out from 1987 robot carnival, which united nine different well-known anime directors of the time to tell different short stories, all themed about visions of the future that involve robots. Nice. Cool. Awesome. And the golden age of anime, too, as far oh, as I'm yeah. concerned. And I'll be curious to see how this episode goes, because a lot of the shorts in it, there's no dialogue. It's all just kind of music and, and action and atmosphere. Nice. Uh, as you often say, Jason, some of them are tone poems. Mm-hmm. So I'll be curious to see how... I mean, surely we can still discuss them and stuff, and I, I just think it'll be interesting since there well, is... Well, movies are primarily a visual medium. Yeah, there is less dialogue to lean on for, like, the story, and you kind of have to infer more. Hey, it's watching. good for me, because I can't hear shit. So, <laughs> nice. Get your hearing aid. You're the old man. <laughs> um, as far as streaming for this, uh, there's a few ways you can track it down. And, ooh, are they legal? <laughs> uh, there are legal ways to watch this. So it's actually got a, quite a few releases. There's a company, Discotech Media... They've issued it on DVD, Blu-ray, and actually more recently, 4K. Oh, oh. Cool. So it's it's way out there if you just want to buy it. Um, you can stream it free through Pluto TV. Okay. Now, I think that usually has ads involved. Um, and there is also... Darn it. I, 
Sorry, I lost my tab that had all of this on there. We'll put it in the One second. Uh, it's on Peacock. Okay, it's on Peacock. It's on Roku channel. It might be on Tubi. It's on Tubi. Yeah, it's on Tubi. Mm-hmm. Good old Tubi, man. Yeah, this is very accessible. So it's very accessible. Easy this is to the get most at. accessible Japanese film that Dustin will ever have on this podcast. <laughs> and you know, I think there is the streaming service Crunchyroll that's kind of like the preeminent if you're just into anime. I believe mm-hmm. it's still on there as well. Yeah, so cool. Awesome. Pretty I'm, easy I'm to looking get forward at. to this. I haven't seen this one. I've heard about it. I know it's one of those anime. You know, oh yeah, it's, big it's a, ones you it's need a to watch. huge classic, and I'll get into my whole story about the first time I watched it and how important it is to me. Cool. Next time. So next even time. if you don't like anime, tune in next time. This is definitely one of those. If you're like, I don't like the typical anime. This one's it kind of bridges that gap into being. Maybe something we more. should just. Well, we'll probably get into it next time about how sometimes anime gets a bad rap and it's yeah. sometimes just great animation. You mm-hmm. know, like we'll just we'll get into that. Oh sure. yeah. yeah. Uh, you guys have been great. As always, as far as communicating with us, we absolutely love it. Starting to see so many new faces uh, popping up on Twitter. Um, the Instagrams. Yeah, just, it, it makes our day. It really we love does. it. Mm-hmm. We get giddy in our little group Tell chat. us what we you've do. been watching. Just anything. Yeah, yeah, I need recommendations. Mm. So recommend some shit to yeah, me. Yeah, keep recommending stuff so we can do on the pod too. Because mm? do, do you guys doom scroll on what to watch? Sometimes. I mean, you probably don't, Dustin, because you have like a fucking library of <laughs> shit you haven't watched. But sometimes I just sit and I doom scroll and I'm like, I don't know what I want to sure. watch. So And there's so many to watch, you don't know what to pick. And then I don't want to waste my time mm-hmm. on some stupid shit. So That's what usually happens to me. Yeah. I didn't mention the other movie I watched. So <laughs> give us recommendations. We, we genuinely do love it and we genuinely do uh, watch it. I promise that we will start writing about them and putting them up on our website. Um, life has been a little crazy yeah. for all three of us lately, um, so we're gonna get there. I yeah, promise. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, we take our sweet time, like everything. Yeah. It's the journey, not the destination. Exactly. Um, but this has been great fun talking about this one. Really enjoyed talking about King today. Oh yeah. Uh, excited for next time. So as always, guys, thank you so much, and you have been listening to Genre Exposure. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening